1: This is the Hagman and Hagman report for today. It is Tuesday, August 15th, 2017. Stan Dale is off tonight, recovering, still recovering from surgery. And, uh, you know, let's say some prayers, wish him well. Um, uh, because it's, uh, man, you know, it's no fun. It's no fun when you're, now he could, I'm sure. I mean, he's doing well. It's my understanding, but, but nonetheless, it's just, it's just a real hassle. So tonight we've got a great great lineup for you, Coach Dave, our one, hour two, a very special guest, Detective Andy Caldwell. You're gonna like this guest because I just read his book, Room twelve oh three, OJ Simpson. You saw what you saw that press conference or the uh uh parole hearing? Yeah. What you saw was uh what they wanted you to see in terms of uh the, the type of guy. Of course you know i don't have to tell you that and, and but detective caldwell retired from las vegas police department is going to be weighing in as well on current events including but not limited to what's going on or what has happened across the country including charlottesville and then our our three Brendan house so we've got a, a, a really packed lineup i want to thank uh... john and joe and eric and everybody involved um michael thompson from wnd and and uh... Bill McIntosh of Casa Media, thank you so much for all of your hard work. But coming in, coming in, uh, just I just want to take a few moments here and give you my opening statement, which is reflective of, uh, I suppose it could be characterized by the press conference held by President Donald Trump today. There are a few things I hope people notice about the press conference, about the interruptions, about the abuse, about the uh, about the, the, the way Donald Trump was treated. But also, something should be very clear to everyone. You're, you, if you're sitting in a chair at your home listening to this broadcast, or if you're driving in a car, wherever you are, if you're listening to this broadcast, And you like this broadcast. Or if maybe we're not your cup of tea, maybe another alternative media site is. All of the alternative media sites, that is to say, all of the truth media is under full frontal assault and has been for a while, but now it's, now it's changed dramatically. And you can see it in the press conference today. Define alt right. Define alt left. The battle lines have been defined. And I'm going to tell you flat out, the Hagman Report, as it exists right now, all five hours of collective programming, three hours at night, one hour during the day with me, one hour with Joe and John, we are in peril of losing our platforms. Now, that's not, I'm not not talking about Global Star Radio Network. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about being able to talk, but knowing, no one hearing us. How would you like to be in a room or in in a place where you could scream, but no one will hear you? And if that creates, or if that sounds like hyperbole, then so be it. I'm going to tell you right now, the independent media is in big, big trouble. Because we represent a threat to the globalist establishment, the luciferian globalist establishment. Any day they could pull our blog off of YouTube. Now, we've got everything, obviously, you understand, I'm not going to get into the details, but we have redundancies and storage, and we've made, believe me, we can come back up quickly. But to have um something akin to your own YouTube, to pay for that bandwidth, you're looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars. We don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars. So this isn't a plea for money, although I will say that this is a listener-supported show. But in this case, to me, money is secondary because the fight, the battle, that is the people that are coming at us, and we're a little different as well because we have people coming at us in a number of different venues, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fighting a, a I'm fighting a, a, a personal defamation suit for for ten million dollars. That's that's in the public domain, and, and the the legal fees on that you want you want to see you, you've got no idea. The emails, the letters that we get, many many supportive, but some threatening, some demanding. Some threatening to sue. If, 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 I'm gonna tell you something. If everyone sued who threatened to sue me, us, if they, if they sued, we'd be in court until far beyond the end of the world. And you might think, well, that's just the way it is, you know, quit whining. It's, it's the way of the business. But no, it's not that. And, and I'm gonna end, end by saying this. It's, that's not, it's not the way it is. It not it it did not used to be this way. Now, it is totally different because we are making a difference. We are making a difference. We we are pushing, moving. You know, Coach Dave Donmeyer is coming on here shortly. We are make we are pushing the ball forward. We're gaining ground. We're winning. We we are we we are winning. But that could be taken away from us. in, in In a move or two, in a play or two. So we need your support. The independent broadcasters that you listen to need your support. And like I said, this isn't a plea for money, but I'll tell you something. If you're not supporting the independent broadcasters, so they, we, collectively, individually can build a war chest, have options to keep getting this word out? Great. If not, well then you've spoken we, we, you know we we we're we're doing our best we've expanded we have we have a studio we've got technicians we've got i mean look families depend on us i think seven families depend on us right now employment wise or i don't know and and of course those organizations that we help and i'm not i'm not going to name those organizations but the organizations that we help that no one knows about but are doing things in the background That's, that's changing the course of, of events. So here's my closing statement to you. What you saw today in this, in this press conference, if you watch it with Donald Trump, understand what was being said here. The battle lines are drawn. Alt right. That's, that's who we are apparently. We have, we have been defined by the, by the, corporate mass media and by the people in power. That's they've defined us alt-right. If you're a Christian, if you're a conservative, if you're a Christian conservative, if you're a moral fiscal conservative, if you're against Obamacare, if you're pro Constitution, you're in that alt-right category. And that by by default, according to the social media gurus, according to Silicon Valley, and according to the globalists, Luciferians in power. That means that we are white supremacist Nazis and, uh, um, what other, whatever other pejorative term, bigots, racists, uh, misogynists, xenophobes, and all of the other pejorative terms I, I don't care to mention. The fight is not in the street. The fight is not on, the fight is not in the street in, in Virginia. The fight is not in the street in Durham. That's not where the fight is. That's where the optics are of the fight. The fight is in the bowels of the mansions of the globalists who are giving the orders for the cannon fodder that you see on on YouTube videos. That's where the battle is. That's where we must engage them. And we need your help in doing so prayers if not if not financial support then prayers and if not prayers perhaps you got a thing about that I, whatever then certainly tell others about the program subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't done so why not well I don't listen you don't have to listen on YouTube that is or view on YouTube subscribe there's there there's a certain safety in numbers. Not just safety, there's a certain effectiveness in numbers. And sometimes perception is reality, at least to the enemies of freedom. So with that, I'm going to tell you right now, you haven't seen anything yet. What you've seen on the Periscope video by Faith Goldie, for example, you think that's bad, you haven't seen anything yet. It's only going to get worse. But you know what? We were called for this day. We were called to be alive today and we all have jobs to do. And it's up to you to search your heart and search your mind and make a decision to get in the game. And I can't think of any better person than Coach Dave Dobbenmeyer to, to really talk about getting in the game and talking about current, current events. But that, folks, concludes my opening statement. Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you. We have with us
2: a a friend and a a former guest of the show, Mr. Coach Dave Dobinmeyer. He is our guest for this first hour, and we're going to cover uh, some news and current events and some other things that are on the coach's radar. Coach, it's great to have you back on the show. How are you doing?
0: Oh, Joe, great, Doug. Great opening there, man. Listen, uh, You knew what it was when you signed up for it, right? Uh, The scriptures tell us that no man in building a house gets halfway through it and decides it's more than he was willing to pay. And that's really where we are. And I know you guys are all in. And I know this, that this thing is real, buddy. We're under attack as well. I know that everybody that you talk to in what we would call this independent media, we're all facing the same thing. You guys are the big dogs, Right. Joe, you and you and Doug, you're the you're the big dog on the block, and and we all kind of following your lead, but it's happening everywhere we look, and we're being attacked by so many different things, but I'm excited about that, Joe, because the scripture I hate to I hate to go all Bible on you, but you know that's kind of where I I kind of live my life, it says in Psalm two, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, listen to this. The kings of the earth, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. The kings of the earth and the rulers take counsel together against who? Against the Lord and against His anointed. And I think one of the greatest mistakes that we, that we make and, you know, golly, conservative good, uh, liberal bad, Republican good. We, we are so missing what the real battle is that's playing out before us and scriptures tell us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. What does that mean right there, Joe? What does that even yeah, mean? Joe? We wrestle not. Huh? <laughs> what, is it, what does that even mean? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It's a spiritual world. the spiritual realm. That has infiltrated this natural world. That's what we're wrestling with, Doug and Joe. That's why I love coming on this show so much because you guys have such a vast array of people. You know, I remember when I started this this gig seventeen years ago. They and started calling me tinfoil hat, and it's a truth, isn't it, Doug? Isn't it? Isn't there a tinfoil hat world out there? And it, aren't all yep. these conspiracy theories? Aren't they coming? Aren't we seeing that they're actually really true? And isn't it sad? Doesn't it break your heart that the church is so missing what's going on, buddy? So I'm with you. I'm in behind you. I'm paddling as hard as I can. And, uh, brother, you plow your row. I'll plow my row and we'll see you at the other end of the field. I'm excited. There's great stuff going on.
1: You know, coach, it, it, you can tell when you're making a difference and, uh, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, you know, is I often find myself kind of uh, thinking back to all of the words of wisdom you've given us, and you know, you're making a difference when when you're uh, over the target and you're you're catching flock. What uh, when the
0: and, pigs are squealing?
1: Yep. And what do you? Ex- I, I love I love this because I often think of this. I, I can hear that you can hear your voice. Well, what would you expect? We're in war. That's right. <laughs> you know. Yeah um that's right and, and, and you know no excuses and uh because i i'm sure if this were a if this were a football game and you had the ball i'm sure that you would be running like you were angry at the grass, okay because that's how you are okay
0: <laughs> yeah yeah well i am angry at the grass but I'm not running that well anymore, you know, physically, but I'm angry to grass for sure. In fact, in fact, I ran into a guy, didn't mean to interrupt you, Doug. It's kind of the way my mind works. No, I ran fine. into a guy, I ran into a guy the other day. Uh, I had a chance to speak at a church, if you can believe that or not, I really did. And when I was speaking at church, a guy came and had a shirt on and said, uh, uh, you may like me now, but you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And, and I thought, you know what? We're not angry enough here, folks. We're just not angry enough. You know, the scriptures tell us, one of the things, uh Doug, here's one of the things, topics I want to touch on tonight, is fake religion. We'll say that again, man. Fake religion. There's so many things that they've taught us that just is not true. Let me give you an example. One of them is whenever somebody sees, I, I hear people say, well, I watched that coach. He seems so angry. And first of all, I think this, well, why aren't you? The hell's wrong with you that you're not angry? I have a righteous anger. But you know something? The Bible says that the Lord is angry with the wicked every day. And Doug, Joe, I got thinking about it. Anger is a natural emotion. The Lord gave us anger. But for some reason, if you're a Christian, you're not allowed to be angry. And I was I was pondering on something that was just ticking me off one day, and I so I was so mad, I got I was angry. And uh, the scripture came to me, "Be angry, and sin not." Then I connected this verse to it. Doug, he who knows to do good and not to do it, to him it is sin. So the so the sin of anger is not applying the anger in the right direction. It's not being anger. It's not being angry. It's the application of the anger. And so I look at what's going on around me and there are things I have to tell you that absolutely infuriate me. And so if I know something is wrong and I'm not doing something about it, I know something is, should be done about it. To me, who knows to do good and not to do it, to me it's sin. Doug, I'm in sin. And so I asked the Lord, how do you want me to, how do you want me to work this one, Lord? What do you want me to do? I know you just don't want me to sit down, count to ten, take a deep breath, let everything go go away. No, no. The Lord gave us the emotion of anger for a reason. Righteous anger. And unfortunately that fake religion is teaching us that we're not allowed to be angry. Well, hey Doug, I live on the edge, brother. I live on the edge of anger all the time. <laughs> but not <laughs> of my wife. I, I, I love my life. but you understand? What I, yeah, hey buddy, I'm, there too. I, I'm in my three point stance. I'm at the starting I'm ready for that gun to go off. I'm ready to be angry. And Until we all begin to get more angry about the right things and then rise up and do something as a result of that anger, we're just, we're just, we're just spinning our wheels. And I got to say this, Doug, I love Trump today. I can't think, I can't think of, I can't think of any other man in America. I can't think of any other one that can stand up there and take the crap the way that he takes it and doesn't back down. And you know what? That scares him. Hey, Doug, that scares him. Don't think it doesn't. They they know there's something unusual about this guy, and they're trying to do everything they can to fluster him, and he just don't back down. In the midst of that cat, that gaggle of reporters today, he still called them fake news. Something about it. that guy just resonates with me, you know.
1: You know, it's um, what I saw today. To me well to but, me you know you know it, this it, it really validates his decision in my view to 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 go to to take his message directly the people people uh by using uh Twitter and social networking and such and, and to bypass the the media because of how they treated him and can you, you imagine uh obama uh being treated that way my goodness there'd be people hanging from lampposts uh or or maybe I'm not allowed to say that it's probably racist and there'd be people uh, you know being spanked, Um you know, for, for, for their treatment of it. But by the way, just as a point of reference, uh, coach, uh, to give you the most time possible, because I did kind of suck up the beginning of the show, or beginning section time of the show. We're not going to take a bottom-the-hour break, so you've got the full hour. But yeah, it's, it's amazing, man. It's, it's just, uh, and I'm proud of him, too. I, I am. And you could, you could tell he's not part of this. You know system.
0: what I think he, you know what he understands, Doug, that I don't think the rest of us do? And, uh, you know, uh, uh, we've, we've discussed a lot. Of people, the, the world has discussed a lot about Donald Trump and his Christianity. And I have to tell you, I'm, ang- fake. I'm angry at some of my Christian friends, brother. I'm, a, I'm angry. They're still never Trump. They still can't get over the fact that he's not a church-going, God-fearing man. They still can't get over that, Doug. They can't see what's going on. They can't see what he's fighting against. And I understand what he's fighting against. And I believe whatever the reason is, uh certainly – Nobody, nobody gets that position without the, without the Lord's permission. But God put him, put him in in there. What I'm seeing, Doug, more than, that just discourages me more than anything is how many Christians do not understand the game. They do not, you, Doug, can you believe how quickly we rolled over again and began to apologize for our whiteness? Now, Doug, I'm a Bible, Bible breathing, fire baptized child of God, and I don't have a racist bone in my body. But brother, when I see my brothers in Christ roll over immediately as soon as somebody calls them a racist, I understand why we don't win. I understand why we don't win. And the, the, the idea that a white nationalist, hey Doug, I think I'm a white nationalist. I don't even know what that means. I'm white skinned. And I'm America first. I think that makes me a white national. And how we've allowed them to equate that with the Ku Klux Klan and racism and bigotry, how we allowed them to do that is beyond me. But I can tell you how we allowed them to do it. Because the stinking church has allowed it to happen. The stinking pastors have allowed it to happen. The, the, the Christian church does not stand up and fight back against anything. And we are a pushover and the world is laughing at us. And we are in this mess that we are in because we are being trained fake religion. We're being trained to not get angry. And Doug, it's going to reach a boiling yeah. point. I've said this, uh, I've been saying this for about 10 years that this pushback that's coming and there's one coming. You know that. Oh yes. Pushbacks. It, it's coming from the NASCAR crowd, Doug. It's not coming from the church. I can promise you this. The church is going to sit there and it's going to watch the whole thing happen. And the sad thing is a lot of those people in that NASCAR crowd, they have what the Bible calls a form of godliness. They consider themselves Christian. They have Christian values. They raise their children in Christian values. They may not be born again along the way to heaven, but they at least adhere to Christian values. But Doug, they don't have the restraint and the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And when when that group gets let set loose When that NASCAR crowd gets loose without the restraining of the Holy Spirit, Doug, it's not going to be a pretty thing. (laughs) And what they're trying, what they're trying to do, the best that what they're trying to do is they're trying to scare a guy like me and you off by calling us names. Exactly. Sticks and stones, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. My mom told me that when I was, when I was about six years old and used to make fun of me, call me half point cause I wasn't so big and called me midget and all that stuff. And my mom said, honey, doesn't matter what they say about you, who you are, but the church has lost that identity. We're the body of Christ, for heaven's sakes. We're the purveyors of truth, for heaven's sake. And we won't stand up and call out lies, and we allow any mud they throw to stick on us. And I hate I hate having to use the term which I hear people say all the time, which is I'm not racist, but well why do you even have to say that? I'm not racist. There so ain't no but, right? Mm-hmm. That's how they've conditioned. That's how they've conditioned.
1: Wow. Uh, a lot of it's truth in that a statement. Part. A lot of truth. It's the
0: church's fault. we yeah. understand that? This is the church's fault. And, and, Doug, Joe, if I could just give me a second. I, I, folks, you better we better understand this. I, I talk about this on my on my morning show, and and it takes people a while. They swallow hard when they first start hearing it because it goes against every grain in their body. I can say it because I'm not a racist. I don't, it's irrelevant. The color of a man's skin is irrelevant to me. There's only two races, those racing to heaven and those racing to hell. They're irrelevant. To me. But what we're seeing, Doug, uh, Western civilization is under attack. Western civilization. And they're trying to make it race. They're trying to make it black against white. That's what they're trying to do. And the only way they can, the only way that they can be successful at it is through the old divide and conquer strategy. So they have to keep black Christians and white Christians separated and Japanese Christians. They've got to keep the body of Christ denominated Uh, in denominations broken up into pieces. But the truth of it is you go anywhere in the world today, hear me, and you run into a Christian. You go to Japan, you go to Africa, you go to China, I don't care where you go. If you trace his step back you're going to find a white man. You understand, you, folks? Do you understand that that it was that it was Anglo-Saxon Protestants, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, that took the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Wherever you are, the far-flung spots in the world today, yes, times have changed. Yes, this isn't a hundred years ago. It's not 500 years ago. But I'm going to tell you something. It was white Anglo-Saxon Protestants that evangelized the world. And so the attack that's taking place is not over skin color. It's not over that at all. It's the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And if they are able to destroy white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Western civilization, where we evangelize the black man and the Chinese man and the Japanese man and the, and the Hispanic man, where the gospel of Jesus was taken by the white man to the Indians, yeah, there were a lot of problems with the end. we. Are, we're not perfect, but our our sense of value, of where we come from, the the right of the individual, the 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 integrity and the the uh, uh, the value of a human life and a human person, and don't kill and don't steal. All of those values, those are Christian values, Doug. Joe that's where the battle lies today. They're making it black and white, but it isn't black and white. It's not race. It's heritage. It's it's culture. Michael Savage says borders, language, and culture. That's what it has always been. Always been that. That's what's, the, that's what's under attack. Because the last thing standing between liberty and the new world order is Western civilization. That's that, why the assault is so strong.
2: That and uh, economically, both Iran and North Korea is uh, not being tied into the Inter- uh, bank of international settlements. But no, you're right. exactly right. <clears throat> and you know, they they, as you just uh, said perfectly, as Michael Savage says, borders, language, and culture. They are, you know, actively trying to destroy all of those things and more. Everything uh, foundationally that made this country great. And everything biblically that God established as foundations for Christians to live by, uh, you know, man and woman, uh, marriage and childbirth, everything else, the family, they are destroying all, uh, foundations and roots of anything that, that made our country great and made, uh, society great. And they have, uh, for some reason, because they have not only the establishment, uh, elitist businessmen and politicians on their side, they also have the media on their side. Uh, wholeheartedly, which is able to brainwash people into believing the lies that they spew as truth. And, you know, this is, regardless if it's uh, propaganda based on deception or not, many people seem to be you know, already turned over to deception, so they gravitate towards those lies. And, you know, since uh, reason and logic are no longer a part of the uh, American media's and the political establishment's agenda, we see uh, just the opposite of that, this insanity, as I call it, this liberal insanity. And, uh, Coach, I want to ask you this. We see this, you know, they're trying to change history, going after the Confederate uh, soldiers, the Confederate monuments. They are um, whitewashing history, uh, apparently. In
0: the Bible Belt, Doug, or Joe, in the Bible Belt. Understand this, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. This is going
0: on in the Bible Belt for a reason. Go ahead.
2: And I, I wanted to ask you. Um, you know, what's, what's gonna come out? Once they, uh, get what they want with tearing down these, these Confederate, um, icons, what's gonna be next? As, as Trump said today, is it gonna be, you know, uh, George Washington, uh, monument or memorial? Is it gonna be Thomas Jefferson? Is it gonna be Mount Rushmore? And at what point do we get to the Constitution? Uh, you know, where well, they're gonna say that's... Can get, go ahead. I'm, can I give
0: you an even better question? Sure. No? How did we get to this point? <laughs> How did we get to this point? I remember when I was a kid, uh, my dad, my dad was a factory worker and sometimes he, he would work, uh, the night shift, uh, not all the time. He worked swing shift sometimes, just a good old factory worker. And I can remember he would come home some mornings and we would just be getting up and getting ready to go to, go to school and the the house would be cold and he would, he would look around and he'd said, Hey, who let the fire go out? Which one of you boys let the fire go out? That's what the Lord's asking. Who let the fire go out? What the heck has happened to us? Every Doug, Joe, we're acting like we're the minority. Yeah. We're acting like we have no power, no authority at all. I'm watching what's going on here in this. Just in the last few days, these protests uh, uh, that were in Charlottesville, they're popping up in other states now, in other cities. How's that happening? How are they so organized That they're able to make this happen. If I called for a prayer meeting, if I called, tried to get a hundred people to come to the state house in Columbus, Ohio and protest anything, I'd be lucky if I got a hundred. They're not going to come. Yet the other side is actively doing this. The devil's team, I'm going to call them who they are. They're actively doing it nonstop everywhere and the church is absolutely, totally missing in action. I don't know what it's like in Erie, Pennsylvania. I know what it's like in Columbus Ohio if the church ever woke up if the church ever took it to the streets it would be an absolute onslaught because we would so outnumber them
2: oh absolutely
0: we, we we let the fire go out Joe who let the fire go out every bit of it is that i I focus at the church and at the dude this the the skinny haired puffed up hair skinny jean puffed up hair guy standing in the pulpit teaching fake religion to the people that's who I' like
2: well, you know, coach, I heard a, an interesting theory that because, you know, these, uh, these liberals don't believe in God. They don't have a religion of their own that they believe that, uh, you know, things like environmentalism and climate change and, um, you know, these political movements are their religion to them. And as, you know, we would fight for our religion if it was under attack that's how these people that's what these people are doing that's the argument that was made that these people believe it to be like a religion and you know how they base what's what's good and bad and morality in the world if you're racist you know you're bad if you don't agree with these people you're you're racist and you're bad but one thing that doesn't make sense to me is on the other side of that we do have uh the church we do have a, a country full of christians and i know the average christian sees a, a confederate uh, memorial being torn down they're not going to want to leave their house to go out and protest but at the same time we see the you know the constant abortion issues that christians don't want to approach there it seems like the left is much more organized whether it's because of money uh... or whatever it is that they have going for them there whatever the appeal is i'm not sure but they have the enthusiasm as far as taking it to the streets and that makes them appear it's, with the it's, media's it's right, promoting it. It makes them appear there right more that. than there are.
0: Right there, Joe. Can you guys see that? We pass no, right, right there. No, no, no. It's the heart.
3: Right
0: oh. <laughs> it's the heart. See, the church doesn't have the heart for the fight anymore. The church is sitting around praying for the rapture. Get us out of this mess, Lord. Just get us out of this mess. When the Lord said, Hey, occupy until I return. Hey, boys, keep the fire burning till I get home. Will you keep the fire burning? That's what the Lord told us to do. But something happened to our heart somewhere along the line. Something else got a hold of our heart. And the reason that the left is winning is because the left is serving their God a lot more faithfully than we are serving ours. We're serving a God created in our own image who's here just to make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. They are serving their God to take over the world. But ultimately, Joe, there's only two, there's only two. The seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. There's a God's team and the devil's team, at least from a Christian perspective. And I, you know, I, I go out of my mind. You guys know we do active. You know I do stuff on the street. That's what we do with the Salt and Light Brigade. You know that we were down in Louisville, Kentucky. Do you know that right now in Louisville, Kentucky, in the state of Kentucky, there's one abortion clinic left open in the entire state? Did you know that Governor Matt Bevan has ordered that abortion clinic closed? Did you know that the, a terrorist in a black robe, a judge, federal judge, come in, came in and said, no, can't close that clinic? And did you know that the church in Louisville, Kentucky, is absolutely silent on the issue? Rather than the church coming out and going and pounding on the governor's door and saying, end abortion in this state and end it now, the church sits back passively and doesn't let anything happen. We went down there. We spent We took about 500 of us down there on the streets with Operation Save America and others outside that abortion clinic. And we pounded that thing, pounded that thing, and pounded that thing. And we're going to go back because we believe that abortion is murder and abortion will end in the state of Kentucky. But it's not going to end in the state of Kentucky if we sit inside our churches, watch Fox News, say a prayer every now and then, and think that the Lord's going to work some kind of miracle. The Lord works through people, and he is looking for people who will go out and actively live out their faith, because the Scriptures still teach that faith without works is dead. And if you believe for the end of abortion and all you do is sit in the comfort of your pew, and I'm going to tell you something, you're basically, Jesus said, you're good for nothing. You're the salt of the earth, but when the salt loses his savor, it's henceforth it good for nothing except to be cast out and trodden under the foot of That's what I've been giving my life to Doug and Joe for the last 10-15 years is trying to raise up a group of Christians who will stand up and push back and fight and we're having an impact on it. We had impact down in, we're going to see that clinic close in Louisville, Kentucky in the name of God. We had we had great influence down in, in Kentucky with the Kim Davis thing. We had great influence in the battle that we fought with Dr. Ken Hoven when they tried to throw him back in jail. Every time we have shown up the Lord comes and shows off. But for the life of me, we cannot get these dead churches, all or not all of them dead, what's the word on look? These hyper-charismatic churches to care about anything other than being blessed. That's all they're caring about. They don't want to engage in the enemy. I'm going to tell you, boys, it's coming to their door. I'm giving fair warning right now. If they don't stand up and step out. You saw what happened down there in Charleston? If we don't stand up and take this thing head on head on, it's coming to it's coming to our doors. It's coming to our church doors. And you know what, brother? We'll deserve it. And then we'll find out whether we're going to stand up and push back at that point. But if we haven't if we if we don't stand up and fight till then, they're going to be hell at our doors. It's already there. We just don't, we just don't.
2: No, you're exactly right, coach. And, um, you know, what we see in, with the, again, going back to the media and how they seem to be, um, in my mind, they seem to be what is the, not the siding factor, but, um, just an interesting player. And they, it's an unexpected.
0: They are the left. They are the left. They, oh, you know? yeah.
2: They're the rabid left. And they, they continue, yeah. even though the, you know, the, the majority of Americans voted for Trump, voted for his agenda, voted for the platform and the ideas that he ran on, they are, uh, constantly going in the opposite direction, opposing him at every turn. Like they, like the media doesn't care about, uh, expanding its viewership, expanding its base, telling the truth. They are only, uh, about driving through their agenda. And they they can be like that because they have unlimited funded from the Federal Reserve, from the people like George Soros. They don't have to worry about uh, how many people watch their show, if their ratings are increasing or decreasing. They're never in danger of going out of business as they are funded by the government and by these private interest groups. So, I mean, as you ask, Coach, what will it take to get the Christians into this political battle? Many Christians don't want to engage in, in the political world. They think it's, um, you know, messy and, and out of their... Uh, responsibilities as a yes. christian
0: fake fake religion see they've been taught fake religion mm-hmm. that's exactly the problem see we already have a team joe it's called the southern baptist convention do you have any idea how much they're already networked together do you understand how many southern baptist churches there are in america we have another team it's called the uh the assemblies of god Do you have any idea how many assemblies of gods there are we have another team yeah they do. They're called Calvary Chapel. They have any idea how many? We've got all kinds of stinking teams. We've got all kinds of money. We've got all kinds of manpower. We've got all kinds of influence, except we don't choose to exercise. And we don't think that the gospel, see, we don't think defending marriage is a gospel issue. We don't think rescuing unborn babies is a gospel issue. We don't think rescuing women from a life of regret who are going into those abortion clinics, we don't see that as a gospel issue. We don't see overtaxation by our government as a gospel issue. We don't see the clampdown on freedom of speech as a gospel issue. We don't see the fact that Facebook which now has control of more media than we can even understand, and Facebook trying to censor Joe Hagman and Doug Hagman, we don't see that as a gospel issue. We see the gospel as only getting people saved and then being blessed by God in our salvation. When it's so much more than that, the gospel is so much greater than that. And Doug, we're losing, Joe, we're losing Because we're AWOL, baby. We are AWOL. We have Jesus when he left said, all power has been given unto me both in heaven and in earth. How about this? He said, he said, Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples said, teach us to pray, Lord. He says, okay, let's see. Uh, Our Father uh, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth.
1: Well, God's that's a God. gospel
0: mandate. God's God that's goodness. a gospel mandate. Yes. Thank you. It's a gospel mandate. Everything we see around us, Doug and Joe, every issue that you see is a gospel issue. Movies is a gospel issue. Pornography is a gospel issue. Adultery is a gospel issue. Fornication is a gospel issue. Over taxation, government overreach, silencing of free speech, they are all gospel issues. We've compartmentalized it. And the church says, well, we're too holy. Our pulpit's too righteous. Oh, I'm not going to take my microphone and use my pulpit here in the microphone to talk about the things of the world. Dude, that's what it's, That's what why you got the microphone. That's why you got the microphone. Come on, man. Come on, man. Oh, Doug, I'm sorry. You I'm know,
1: not I, sorry. I, No, don't be sorry. I'm mad as hell. It, I'm mad as hell. I'm not you.
0: going to take it anymore. Anyway.
1: We're all mad as hell. Fake
0: religion.
1: Fake religion. Amen. Fake, fake news, fake religion. And you know, I I think it's about high time, coach, that you and we define fake religion and fake news as Donald Trump has has defined it. Okay. Because, because we're not seeing, we're not seeing true men of God out there. We're seeing a bunch of man, mamby, pamby, uh, wusses out there. Um, that are, that are sniveling and whining and crying, or pre-preaching some prosperity garbage, but not telling the people the, the real truth. And it's about time. Doug, we call Doug, murder. murder. I'm
0: sorry. They're out there, Doug. They're out there, brother. Let me tell you, when we were down in Lexington, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and the, and the, uh, the, uh, anarchists showed up. Yeah, they showed up, and the, and the, Devil worshippers, yeah, they all showed up. When they all showed up, and they tried to do to us, Doug, what happened down there in, in Louis and in, uh, Charlottesville, Virginia? Hear me. They tried to do it to us, and we had real men of God down there, 500 people with husbands who married their wives and and parent their children. The children came, Doug. When they when they when those when those God haters went on the offensive, you should have seen the children trained by these godly families go on the offensive, get on their knees and begin to pray and uh, jump on their guitars and turn up the PA and start singing, singing songs and praising the Lord. And Doug, we saw the enemy run. They could not take it. They couldn't take it. And I saw the power of God if we will simply take him out of the box, get him out of the book, and get him out into the streets, we would be amazed. What the Spirit of God not only can do, but wants to do, but He will only be able to go as far as our faith will take Him. Doug, I'm putting out a plea tonight, as I always do, for men and women. We need you. We need you. We can win these battles. We can win them, but we need, like, we need an army of people who will go to our website, CoachDaveLive.com, and sign up. For the salt and light brigade, we got branches of it now in Wisconsin. We got a branch down in Texas. We got one up in the Great Northeast, up there where it snows all the time. We're working on one down in Florida. We, we in Texas, Doug. Joe, we're putting a team together, and instead of people turning on the Hagman the Hagman Report every night, and I hope they do. I hope they're motivated to get out of the pews and go do something. And people say, well, we don't know what we're supposed to do. Well, we'll show you. We're already actively doing it. We need you. We can use you. We can make a difference. But you're not going to change the world sitting in your home. And you can gripe and you can moan and you can complain about your pastor all you want to. And you can drop out of church all you want to. We're doing something. We are actively Taking the information we have and we are applying it in the culture,
1: and folks, and we're calling more I
0: want more of you to join us.
1: And I got to tell you something, Coach. I, and folks, I have seen Joe and I have seen firsthand what Coach and his team can do. Let me tell you something, you, you Coach. Uh, thank you for the Salt and Light Brigade. Thank you for uh, channeling that righteous anger into instruction and inspiration. Thank you for the instruction that you provide. Thank you for being out there. Boots on the ground is what is needed, and that's what you provide. And, and I'm going to tell you, every Christian, able-bodied man who is a man, who gives a, a, a rat's behind about what's going on, who wants the, 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 to secure a future for their children, a future of morality, a future of, of hope, and of godliness, get in touch with Coach Dave Dombrowski. Don't do it tomorrow. Do it today. And and and, and uh, Doug, we need so it. We,
0: we need. I hear I hear from men all the time, whether they're watching my program or they. Doug, you guys are having such. A, I don't know where we would be without the Hagman Hagman Report. Really, you guys opened up such a venue for so many of us. Doug, I hear from them every day. I hear from men every day. the Coach, I'm sick and tired of. You. Put me in. What is it I can do? Well, Doug, we train them. We take them. We train them. We try to go where they are and help them raise up some other guys around them. We, uh, we're we not what we're going to be. We're not there yet, but we're heading somewhere, and I'm going to tell you. If, if Jesus said, you sit on your porch, and you see the storm clouds building, and you know it's going to rain, Jesus said. You can sort of discern the signs of the sky. Why can't you discern the signs of the time? Folks, Time is getting short. I'm not talking about in time short. I'm talking about in America, Western civilization short. Time is getting short. And if we do not stand up now with an open door where the, how about this, where Jesus Christ has been invited back into the White House. Say what you want to about Trump. There ain't no Muslim prayers going on in the White House anymore. He's opened the White House back up to Christians, and all we can do is sit back and criticize that he doesn't have the right kind of Christians advising. You know that's going on, right, Doug? Well, here it is, folks. This is a very short window of opportunity that the Lord has given us for the church to arise and do something. What did the church do when they didn't pass Obamacare? Huh? Anybody do anything about that? When they didn't over, overrun that? No? Have Prince. they done any tax... uh Have they done any tax... uh Uh, reform yet? They done any of that yet? Have they, have they defunded Planned Parenthood yet? Just what, what have they done? The hell have they done? They haven't done anything. Why? Because they nobody telling them to. Church is sitting back praying for more blessings and looking for the rapture of us and the world's going to hell. No, I happen to have, I happen to have some grandkids, but that's what I've, that's, you think I'm angry now? That's what I'm angry about. They're trying to steal the future of my children and my grandchildren and And no grandpa worth his thoughts gonna let that go on that's that's why I fight man i got a, i got a reason to fight
1: and, and you know i think i think everyone we all have reasons to fight uh my my grandchildren as well uh i'm very concerned for for their future but but you know if 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 it wasn't inherent within us if it's not you know coach tell me what you think i mean if it's not inherent with us within us that 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 uh good versus evil uh uh the compass that that morality, that default setting of of, of morality, then, then we're we're really not Christians at, at all, are we? I mean, I, I just I,
0: well, I, I don't I you know I get I'd be careful trying to myself. I'm talking about now. People say all the time, "Boy, coach, you sure are judgmental." But listen, man, I ain't judgmental. I'm a fruit inspector. Jesus said, "You shall know them by your by your fruit." Right. And I don't know what it's like in the Hagman house, the Hagman houses. But you know what? My wife judges me all the time by my actions. That's right. See, I can, walk, I can walk around this house and every five minutes go over and tell her how much I love her. And I can sing songs about how much I love her and all that stuff. But when I get through singing all those songs and tell her how much I love her, you know, she says to me, uh, when are you going to move those boxes? When are you going to move <laughs> At some point, she do not want to hear how much I love her. She wants me to show her how much I love her. Right? And Doug... You don't do that by going down and kneeling at the foot of your bed and saying, I love you, honey. Oh, I love you, honey. No, no. She knows I love her most when I'm out serving her, doing for her. Why don't we serve Jesus? Why do we think that going into the into the church on Sunday and lifting our hands and doing praise and worship, praising and worship has become a verb, has become an action. It's something you do. Why do we think that that glorifies the Lord? But going out and rescuing a a woman who's about to kill her baby, rescuing that baby and rescuing that woman, that's not serving the Lord. That doesn't bring joy to the heart of the Lord to see his children stand up and speak. He said uh, He said in the uh, Joshua, uh, Have not I commanded you? Be strong and be very courageous. Be not afraid. Be not dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. Didn't he say, Go ye into all the world, gospel of Jesus Christ, and teach them to observe all I've commanded you. Oh, and by the way, boys, I'll be with you always. Well, you have to go to your church to meet with him. You know what? I was outside that Louisville, Kentucky abortion clinic. He was there, Doug. The Holy Spirit came and met me there. Isn't that, isn't that unbelievable? Isn't that unbelievable? Fake Christianity, fake religion. It's everywhere we look. We like to poke we like to poke our finger in the eye of the media. Yeah, I got some pastors I like to poke my finger in the eye of they say, Oh, coach, you shouldn't be talking about God's anointed. Well, I'm anointed. I'm, I'm in Hebrews 10:28, I think. It says, I provoke others to love and to good work. I'm a provocateur. And I'm here to wake the church up, wake people in the church to understand now is the time to engage your faith in the things that really matter to your children and to your grandchildren and to their future and to the the future success of Western civilization. Hey, Doug, you know, Christianity is going to go on. Christianity may explode in China. It may get booming in Africa. It may get break out. It doesn't mean it's going to be here in America forever. And I'm going to tell you the fact that uh, religion or Christianity goes under in America, it will be a sad day, but it won't be the end of Christianity. It's going to go on. And what we have to ask ourselves is, did we miss the time of the Lord's visitation? And I would say, I would lay out to everybody listening tonight, it's now or never. It's now or never for Christian. Western civilization American. Ain't black and white, old and young, rich and poor, those are all distractions, maybe. It's all distractions. It's about the Western the culture of the Western civilization and the values that the that the kingdom of God is built on and that America was built on and that Western civilization was built on. Will those will those values continue on or will they be watered down into something called multiculturalism? which is nothing more than, I said, societal aids, believing all religions are the same, all rules are the same, all love is the same, everything's the same. Now, the Lord said, I change not. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've changed. He hasn't.
2: That's right, Coach. Amen. And, um, you know, one of the things that we're talking about, as you said earlier, fighting this on the spiritual plane, we have to understand that even though we don't see uh the the evil spirits and the heavens hosts and the angels that they are also fighting a war on this oh, earth man. with us and through people through exactly through people and you know i i always wonder to what extent these influ these spiritual influences help uh, you know guide people either in one way or the other but there's no doubt that there is an intensification one thing that's very interesting as it seems more people that are pulling away from God and pulling away from uh, their their belief in, in Christianity it seems the more that it emboldens these evil people and coach what is, is there a precedent for when a nation that such as America which was morally a godly nation to begin with at least with the the people who who's founded this country and settled here and to turn away from God as a population, will he not continue <laughs> to fill this country now with ungodly and worse people? And those evil spirits, well, uh, continue to increase more than the good ones? Is that biblically going, accurate?
0: Going, well, just look throughout all, all of history, right? In fact, he said the nation of Israel, they would take their lampstand they'd give it to another one. This has happened over and over and over. But see, we think everything, we think, Doug, I have a news tip. Joe, you ready? Newsflash. I spoke to the Lord this morning and he is not an American. And even something more amazing, I couldn't believe it. He's not a
3: Republican. Wow.
0: We just happen to think, we just happen to think that he is, right? And so if he, he is not going to tarry long, brothers. He's not going to tarry long here. He's going to move on and he's going to go to, he's going to find a group of people who are hard after him. And if the type of religion that we're operating here in America with all these mega churches, if the religion that we're, that we are expanding, promoting here in America, the gospel, if it doesn't apply in China, the deep dark jungles of Africa, if that same gospel that we're preaching at Joel Osteen's church, your best life now, if that can't be preached in Zambia then it's no gospel at all and so we're missing the marks the Bible warns us about this all the time that evil men are going to creep in unawares they're going to teach us a different gospel Christ warns us about those who are going to have a different gospel Paul warns us about those who are going to preach a different gospel that is what we're seeing around here and I'm going to tell you this my coaching days I know this the devil's team We call them lefties. They know now's the time. They know it. They they have pulled back. There is no pretense of objectivity anymore. There is no pretense of being unbiased. They are full bore, open-throated, pedal to the metal, pushing forward their agenda. Why? Because they know it's do or die time for them. Right now, it's do or die time. And the only way that they are going to be successful is if we continue to hide inside the stained glass fortresses and not understand the times in which we live and see what it is that we are able to do. We can end abortion in America. We can do it right now. We can end it. We could turn back this whole lie of of homosexual marriage. We could turn it back. We could reclaim government of the people, by the people, and for the people. We could reclaim so many of these things. But it's not Donald Trump will not make America great again. We will. The church can. We the people. We can do it. But we have to understand what's going on. We need an awakening in the pulpit. We need a million pastor David Langford. We need people out there speaking the truth. Let's go. Now's the time. Push. Let's go get them boys. Now we got them on the run. Can't you see how panicked the devil's team is?
2: Coach, it's thank you so you want, much. Man. We are, we are out of time. That was a fantastic hour. Folks, go to CoachDaveLive.com and you can sit with him every morning. He does a broadcast 7 a.m. Uh, Eastern time, and there up on the screen. If you're watching on YouTube, at Coach Dave Live is the information for that. Coach Dave Dobinmeyer, we look forward to speaking with you here in the near future, and you continue to keep up the great work that you're doing.
1: Thank you.
0: Love you. Love you guys. Always an honor to be with you. Uh,
1: it's not. No, love
2: no. you too. God bless you, Coach. No. We'll be right back after this network break.
1: but a bang you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG Chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP-proof, and it's environmentally friendly. It, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to GreenInnovative.com. That's GreenInnovative.com.
2: You should have a minute man, a survival stove in an ammo can.
3: Consider visiting our forest plantations.
2: Welcome back ladies and gentlemen this edition of the Hagman Report. Our next guest, uh, Detective Andy Caldwell, detective and author. He was a detective in the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department who was the lead detective in the armed robbery of the O.J. Simpson case where he was just recently paroled. We're going to get to him in just a few minutes. Uh, Just going to go over some quick headlines. I don't know how many people saw Trump's press conference today. It was supposed to be on infrastructure. There's a lot of, of headlines uh, coming out about it. And I will say this, though. One thing Trump did, and he was right for doing, was calling out uh, the event in Charlottesville as it actually happened, talking about the people that were there with the permit and then the other group that was there who brought the violence with them playing some role in the melee. But, you know, there's a really great write-up at the Daily Caller, and the... A uh, person who wrote it, I don't have the name in front of me here, but it is a person who was there, who was at the rally on the side of uh, what they call the alt-right or the white supremacist and, and this uh, gentleman goes on to say he wasn't a white supremacist, but he lays out how the police set up this rally and the timeline of events from uh, having a permit pulled the week before the event to a federal judge reissuing it the day before to the police set up to where uh, right when the rally was starting, the governor declared a state of emergency and the police called it an unlawful assembly, told the crowd to disperse, but forced them to disperse through the crowd of counter protesters instead of, uh, through the, the back way, which they had all cleared out, causing more violence and conflict. And the author goes on to write that he believes the police played a major role in the violence that happened and, uh, subsequently the car attack for, uh, letting it get as out of control as it did and president trump today gave a, a press conference on this and he laid out the facts much to the media's uh you know they did not want to uh, have anything to do with what he was saying they didn't believe it they were uh, rebuking him at every turn just about during the press conference and but one thing about that press conference is i've never seen such disrespect for a sitting president by the media as i did in that press conference they were over talking him they were interrupting him, uh and it goes on and on, asking him just you know the the silliest questions if and you know it was um it's about a sixteen minute eighteen minute video. you can find different uh cuts of it, or you can even find uh the full the full thing there on on YouTube or many other sites. but one thing Trump did was tell the truth. And he didn't whitewash it as the media does, and I think that's very important. He did not, uh, you know, sympathize with white supremacists or, or let them off the hook as the news says he did. Uh, he denounced them again today, but he made the point that there were good people on the left and the right who were there with the intention to protest peacefully or to protect the monument peacefully, which was then infiltrated by, uh, you know, a bunch of other violent, uh, two of, uh, both sides infiltrated by uh, violent people and then the police in action which led to the melee it's an interesting news conference but check out the lack of respect that the president was shown while he was uh, giving this uh, giving the speech and again that article's on the daily caller on the right hand side it should be up at the very top and i'll have the title for you in just a second but um i know the the, the press conference sean hannity was playing it today the president again continuing to call out fake news, um, as it was. And in my favorite line was he was being interrupted, and he says, uh, "You know, hold on, you wait, fake news. I'm not done talking yet." Uh, that's pretty interesting. Never really seen a, a press conference like that before. It's it was pretty uh, pretty amazing, and I'm going to go watch it again uh, after the show just to see if I missed anything. But again, you know, this Charlottesville incident dominating the news. The hate the the racism the the charges of hate and racism uh by the media is front and center in the news and there is other news we see this huge push to tear down these confederate monuments well there has been an arrest in durham north carolina yesterday where a confederate monument was torn down the uh, police there said that they were not going to let that go unpunished and they have made an arrest of the person who tore down the monument yesterday so it's um I don't know. I don't know what we're going to see with that.
1: My, um, I got to tell you, Joe. My morning program. It's never about the statutes. It's not about the statutes. It's not about the monuments. It's uh, people have to look at the that the bigger agenda here. And who tears down uh, historical statues and monuments? You got the Taliban. You got Stalin, Pol Pot, and others alike. Nazis, like yeah. yeah. So anyway, now, now, folks, I'm really excited. Our our guest coming up right now. Andy Caldwell, uh, retired detective Andy Caldwell. He's retired, as Joe said, from the Las Vegas Police uh, Metropolitan Police Department. He was a lead detective on the armed robbery and kidnapping that uh, that led O.J. Simpson being sentenced to prison for fifteen to thirty-three years. When I heard he was coming on, I had to order his book. He's got a book. It's titled Room Twelve O Three, and I I'll tell you something. I, I love reading true crime and this did not disappoint and i've got it right here on my kindle and i just I, it's it's an amazing book to read and i could relate I, in fact i highlighted so many uh of uh, so many uh passages uh this I, it was it was as if i was there next to uh detective caldwell but let me t- let me give you a little bit more about his background very quickly back in 04 um uh, our guest worked a murder case that grabbed some attention well beyond Las Vegas. And this is about a uh, cab driver who was burned to death, actually, in this horrific murder. Uh, he actually, uh, our the detective Caldwell, successfully prosecuted. Uh, 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 the. Uh, he put together a successful investigation that resulted in uh, an arrest uh, and conviction of murder. Being, uh, made on that. It was a fantastic piece of investigative work. And then a year later, um Detective uh, Eddie Caldwell was one of the detectives who worked, who was handling one of America's most wanted fugitives. And, uh, Judy Kenneth Thompson was a U.S. Marshals Service top 15 most wanted fugitive. He was arrested in Las Vegas. Everyone goes to Vegas, right? Um, and after he was featured on America's Most Wanted. Thompson mastered a prison break from the Northern Nevada Correctional Center, where he was serving a 30-year prison sentence for a robbery. In um, his Detective Caldwell's list of accomplishments, goes on and on and on. As a matter of fact, um, he was featured in uh, Dateline. On Vegas, collaborated with Dateline on Vegas Undercover. It was a covert, long-term operation where undercover detectives bought stolen property off criminals who had just committed crimes. And Detective Caldwell assisted in uh, the investigations and took part of the in the arrests. But but his his major uh, work here, as depicted in t- Room Twelve Hundred Three, the book, and I highly recommend this. And Doug's Book of the Month Club. This would be at top of the list because. Of the list because this is really, I thought I knew. Okay, even with with, with some, I've got some law enforcement contacts. But I have n- no, I I didn't know until I read this book, Room Twelve O Three. It's available on Amazon. But but in 1995, you know, O.J. Simpson uh, beat a murder rap for the death of his wife Nicole Brown Simpson and her friend Ron Goldman. But in 2007, his luck ran out. Uh, shall we say? room 1203 is the true story by the way of the convoluted and bizarre events surrounding a violent armed robbery and it was it's not it's not what you hear uh of a sports memor- memorabilia collector in a las vegas hotel on that night simpson put uh really put an exclamation mark on a spectacular fall from the height of hollywood's uh, glamour and glitz to a shadow, a shady world of, uh, schemes and schemers in the Sin City. And this room 1203 is written by our guest, detective, uh, former detective, retired detective, Andy Caldwell. And what I like about this, the book provides details, insights, facts, not previously reported, and as well as the in- investigation that pieced the crime together and landed a very arrogant OJ Simpson a guy who believed he was above the law in a Nevada prison. And I i cannot tell you how much I enjoyed this book. Now, um, a couple other things about our guest, which I think you're going to be surprised to find out. He is the pastor and actually worked uh, as the pastor for Mill City Christian Church as he was a detective, Las Vegas detective. Um, and he received his degree in, in theology as well this guy was busy and I've got, I've got a lot of respect for this man as a law former law enforcement officer commission law enforcement officer um and as, as you know I've done investigations for 30 years in the private sector but this commission law enforcement officer to me has got he's a real deal he's got the the creds and uh he found himself in the middle of a one heck of a case in uh in, in 2007 as he as he um uh, as he caught the caught the case on the uh on the robbery of o. J. Simpson, involving O.J. Simpson. With that, I want to welcome our guest, former Detective Andy Caldwell. Sir, welcome to the Hagman Report.
4: Thank you very much. I, I appreciate the time and the opportunity.
1: Well, I'll tell you what, I appreciate you. We appreciate your gift of time to us. If we can, I'd like to kind of break this up into a couple of uh, segments. Now, uh, um, I know you've got some commentary about, the current, about current events, and we certainly want to get into that. But, but can I, can we ask you a couple of questions about, about your experience, about, about the book itself and about your sure. experience? Okay. Sure. Um, let me kind of start backwards. Maybe this might make sense to most people. Most people probably watched, I don't know what the ratings were, the parole hearing of O.J. Simpson. And, and I watched this man, uh, to me, unrepentant, sometimes angry. Uh, run through a gamut of emotions during this parole hearing the likes of which i've never seen i've been to a, a few parole hearings not many um but nothing like this um what the heck what, what, what did what i watch what did we watch at the parole hearing when, did you watch it and what were your thoughts based on your inside knowledge
4: so um, I actually had the privilege of being there. That was my first and only parole hearing I've ever attended, and um, the information I got was just live TV sets. I, you know, I can't say how many people watched it online, but uh, TV sets is about 14 million watched it live. Okay. Um, you know, it it was such an interesting, um, I guess, study in humanity because he <laughs> didn't need to lie. Um, you know. If the process for being paroled is somewhat objective, uh, there is some aspects of it that I'm sure is up to individual interpretation. Um, it wasn't necessary for him to offer that statement that was so false, um, and yet he did. For whatever reason, whatever drive was in him, um, he he started lying from basically the moment he started talking, and um, I mean he even ended with a moment where he he come he somewhat snapped at uh... one of the board members uh... when the board members questioned him about the authenticity of what he was testifying to
1: man yeah and, and of course he's going to be a free man or if, if he's not ready we'll be here shortly um... what can you tell us without giving away because uh, uh... when i read the book I, I was i was going through and thinking boy this would be uh... you know I, i'd love to tell the audience this but i don't want to give parts of the book away and uh... by the way uh... great job on the book uh... It's, it's an amazing read. Uh, I think I read it in about, well, about four and a half, five hours in total. Uh, and it was very enjoyable and very insightful, but can you walk, I mean, can you walk, walk us through that day? I don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to take you anywhere you, where you don't want to go or can't go, but can you walk us through when you caught the uh, robbery, the armed robbery uh, case and, uh, Kind of just give us a thumbnail sketch of what happened. Uh, sure, and I, I, I'm sure partially because A
4: and E is doing the documentary on the book. There are some areas that they've asked me to wait till the documentary comes out to discuss publicly. Sure, but it, it's easy enough to discuss what you're asking. You know, it, it, it's hard, and I, I guess I, I think I write about it in the book. You, you know, people, police officers are just people. Um, just you know. Could be any person. And, and you would have to imagine that if you're just at work uh, driving around, what reaction you would have if somebody called and said, Hey, um, oh, Simpson just robbed me. Um, I, I think it's very natural, um, what my reaction was and my partner's reaction of it's just not, not possible. Uh, even to the point where it's comical, uh, to make the claim, the accusation. Um, so much so that, uh, I even entered into the situation not thinking it was true um, beyond laughing about it. Um, so, you know, I mean, what a, the only better thing somebody could have told you or, or on the same level was that Michael Jackson just committed a crime. You know, I, I just don't know that you could have... It's a curveball you couldn't have planned for. Um, so, you know, as I write about in the book, the, the, the afternoon just progressed to to actually finding out that wait a second this is actually true and you can imagine the emotions also you go through you go through from that this moment of it, it, it's it's absurd it's funny it's no way it's true to the reality of oh this is true and uh oh this is going to be really big and and that was kind of the, the I guess the thumbnail of what happened during the day
1: it, it, wow and i found it really amusing i guess is is in is one way of putting it well, not, not amusing. Maybe in this particular case, I found it pretty, uh, interesting how you realized at one point you were, you, you were, your team, uh, was in the conference room there after a long night of, of investigations. And people have to realize a lot of this stuff you, you, you do in a robbery and investigations, it's, uh, pretty rote and tiring and time consuming and tedious. And, and you, you go back into this conference room for, to to assess what you've got and your partner at the time, I, I don't know if I, could, I mean Eddie, right? I is your was your partner? <laughs> Eddie, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, he kind of came out and said, eh, "I'm not sure we've got enough." And of course, you went through point by point the law. But the bottom line was, uh, uh, you knew you had a a whale of a case on your hands. Obviously, given the fact that it was O.J. Simpson, and everyone was being extra super careful about that. Correct? I mean. Were, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and if I could, again, cause I don't want, I know we're walking a thin line with the documentary and with, you know, um, what was the thing that surprised you the most about, and I think I know the answer to this, but as you, as you conducted your investigation, you made your arrest and the, the things that you found out, what really happened during that period of time, was there anything that surprised you the most that you can't talk about?
4: No, um, I mean, there were some things that surprised me that, you know, I'll stay away from. But probably one of the most surprising things was, and I, I want to defend him a little bit before I throw him under the bus. Okay. Uh, Tom Riccio, Um the recording device. Mm. The recording device, I think, caught every one of us off guard. Um, now, in fairness to Tom, Um, he records every business transaction he does. In fact, when we went to recover the audio recording device that he used to to capture those recordings, um, his lawyer made it a point to show us that in the world of sports memorabilia, uh, the contracts are just by word of mouth. So he records them to protect himself. So they did establish, um, to provide me comfort, that it was not unusual that he was recording every aspect of this. It's just what he did as habit but you know a night came where one of the one of my partners on the squad was sitting at her desk and she noticed that TMZ was about to release the audio of the robbery and we're well into the investigation at this point and the thought of TMZ having the audio was just um, absurd um, and you quickly had to run through your mind of okay how how do they have audio and you know in a relatively time, I'm able to conclude Tom Ricio must have had some sort of recording device. Um, and so not only was it surprising that the, ro- the robbery was actually recorded, and, and what a tremendous uh, um, asset to the case, but then you quickly are able to dis- discern that not only does he have the recording, he probably has long periods of times of law enforcement personnel being inside a room having discussions that they believe were in private that were actually being covertly recorded. And um y- you know, you hope that nobody said anything inappropriate. But I got to tell you, that was a, a nerve-wracking day until uh, <laughs> oh, so I could get my hands on that recorder to see what was said. You,
1: you, you know, I I just imagine somebody putting a recorder in in my office, and it, you know, it, it's not it's not going to be bad. It would it, be it could be embarrassing, but but you know, not nothing bad. Um But yeah, that would unnerve me uh tremendously as well but you weren't too happy with tom Riccio anyway um from <laughs> <laughs> from the very beginning um which i thought was hilarious but uh anyway and and folks uh, the characters that we're talking about are the participants uh both alleged uh, well not alleged anymore both victims and perpetrators of the uh burglary and kidnapping or burglary robbery and kidnapping that involved o j Simpson back in 07, o seven which and, our guest is uh,
2: yeah our guest detective Andy caldwell, uh Mr. Caldwell, if I can ask you um I imagine that when you're doing uh your investigations that uh media cases are are rare, but they're much different uh than regular cases when the media is involved how do how was the uh, with with o j Simpson you know uh who just got off you know had the the trial of the century media attention for years. How did the media attention in this case make it so different
4: okay well th- that's a great that's a great question because um I think the media actually highlighted the need or necessity to make sure that we did everything uh, we possibly could. every resource that we had within reason um, was used. To, to to do a complete and unbiased investigation and provide that to the DA's office. I, I I would like to say that that happens on every case, but in fairness, it doesn't. You you don't have time to spend every single uh, uh, resource you can on individual cases. You know, most robbery detectives at that time we caught about 20 cases a month. Uh, in 20 cases a month, the robbery investigations you you can't. Um, dedicate the time you need to it. So um, the media attention allowed me to dedicate the time I needed to this case. Um, it, you know, it helped in identifying suspects, but it also created problems in that uh, everybody wanted to be involved in the case. So uh, we would have tips come in that were, were not relevant. People just wanted to have their names in. In fact, uh, there was one point in time I write about it in the book where uh, a lady's lawyer contacted me and wanted to be involved in the case She wanted to give a statement, but she wanted immunity before she gave a statement. She was not relevant to the case at hand, but because there was so much attention, everybody wanted in. Um, So the media attention brought an interesting aspect uh, that I had never dealt with, and in fact, I don't think most people will ever get a chance to deal with because there's not many O.J. Simpsons running around.
1: Mm. Um, I I suppose we can say thankfully, right?
4: Thankfully, yes, absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Now, now this—you don't have to answer this, and none of these questions, folks, are scripted, so you you don't have to answer this. But based on your experience as a detective, and I respect your experience, uh, having read your your bona fides and um, in in your in your book and and your your outline of various cases, do you believe um, that O.J. Simpson was in fact the guilty of homicide of? Uh, Goldman and Nicole Simpson uh,
4: you know let me first say, uh, say by uh, or answer by saying that I really respect our criminal justice system um, I, I think I would rather see one guilty person I'd rather see ten uh, guilty people go free rather than one innocent person get convicted so I have to respect um, the verdict however I think uh, so I don't avoid the question I will say that it seemed like there was an overwhelming amount of evidence pointing to him as the suspect.
1: Okay, let me just add another kind of an addendum to that question as we get toward the bottom of the hour network break. Um, Sole suspect, do you believe, or sole perpetrator, or sole alleged perpetrator? I'm not sure how to phrase that.
4: You know, I don't know enough about the case to actually have a a solid opinion on that. I will tell you that uh, the bail bondsman in the... um, Worked with O.J. during um, my investigation in my case, the one that actually re-arrested him mid uh, mid release. Um, he has some very interesting uh, things to say. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll even say um, very provocative um, that are in fact in the documentary. Definitely not my story to tell, but he offers up um, what he what he claims O.J. Simpson told him. And I will say that uh, the things he reports in the documentary. Are consistent with what he told myself and my partner back then, and it has been consistent throughout the years. Um, So he actually offers up uh, what he claims to be O.J. Simpson's explanation to what you just asked.
1: Okay, fair, fair enough. And I think that I think people listening to this can understand exactly the question and the answer, which is fantastic. And I have a lot of respect, having read the book, and I've just got a lot of respect for how you handled things, what you've done, how you did it. And uh, your respect for the law, but but there's also you know right now, and we can segue into this. Uh, there, there's this uh, this indictment of the police, and here you mm-hmm. are, a veteran now retired from the Las Vegas Police Department, veteran detective, police officer, but concurrent with that, you are the senior pastor at, at a uh, at a at uh, uh, Mill. I'm sorry, Mill City. Then one. In Oregon didn't yeah, I want to make sure I got that right, Mill City Christian Church, and you're engaged in theology, getting your a uh, degree in divinity, so i just uh I just want to say thank you for doing all that, but uh I think the police are getting a black eye today unfairly, and I'd like uh you know after the after the network break you to comment on that, comment on the current case or current situation that we're seeing with the police. And sure. uh, go anywhere you want, but before the network break, I do. I would encourage everybody: you gotta read Room Twelve O Three, man. It's a great read. And in the thirty seconds we have before the music starts, uh, of documentaries being done, you said, on, on it this? is, yeah, okay. it's
4: actually done being filmed. It's just hit finishing touches.
1: Are, are, are you in it? I mean, are
4: you? I am. Yeah, it's a, it's an actually unscripted documentary with the actual people. Cool.
1: All right, I can't wait that for that to come out. Yeah. Yeah, folks, you got to get 1203, room 1203. Go to amazon.com. Is that is that where where is that where you prefer people to purchase?
4: Yeah, okay. Amazon is probably the best source to get it at.
1: All right. Man, I'll tell you, it is a great read. Um I I thought I thought I wrote a decent book, but man, I'll tell you, for my first one, this is this is incredible. And it really sheds a lot of insight and light into uh the man the crime and of course the author as well we be right back hagman report on this the 15th day of august you thought i forgot didn't you i did i did think you forgot the hesitation
2: well, we'll be right back with detective andy caldwell again his book can be found on amazon room 1203 this is his um First book, and it. uh My dad read it earlier. Said he liked it. Couldn't not, believe I'm not room 1204,
1: 1203, 1203. But 1204 right. does play
2: into it. But, but. <laughs> And Detective Caldwell is with us for another segment. We will be right back after this network break to complete that segment. Don't go anywhere.
6: We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Army kit. It contains 12 homeopathic remedies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Army's kit at www.tanklisawoods.com. Your life may depend on it.
2: Folks, our guest is Detective Andy Caldwell. He is the uh, former detective for the Las Vegas Police Department, who handled the O.J. Simpson robbery hotel robbery case, and he has written a book about it. Room 1203 is the name of the book, folks. You can get that on Amazon. It's linked on Hagman Report in the show description, and folks, just search Room 1203 in Amazon. We're uh, talking about the ins and outs of the case and uh, from the media attention and we were just talking here.
1: By, by the way, i got to say this. My wife, who has not even read my book, um, is reading uh, his book. Okay? That's, now, that's got to tell you guys something out there. All right, go ahead, Joe.
2: Yeah, and one of the things during the break we were talking about is um, some of the stuff that the defense put out there, that the media put out there. One, that O.J. Simpson really just stole his own stuff back in this hotel room. Uh let's get into this a little bit. What really happened with in that hotel room and whose stuff was it?
4: Sure. so it, it would be a long story to explain um the backstory behind it. But ultimately, uh one of the victims, a man named Bruce Froman, um, he brought property to the room and the property he he brought, you know, eight hundred plus items to the room. Um and, and, and I think sometimes the media never really got that number out, and the defense did a good job of saying it was O.J. Simpson's property. He just stole it back. But what came to the room was property from – or memorabilia from uh, Duke Snyder, uh, Pete Rose, Joe Montana, West Point, and O.J. Simpson. And, but the O.J. Simpson memorabilia that was there was memorabilia that um, Bruce Fromong came across uh, righteously or legally – his uh, his memorabilia of business it was his property and you know also uh, his cell phone was stolen sunglasses personal sunglasses were stolen the hat was stolen um, so th- there's this line that he um, just stole his own property back was a very creative defense line that his defense attorneys came up with and it stuck and the media just continued to say it to the point where it became reality and I, I You know, you asked the question uh, before the break about how police get treated, or, or or, you know, how they. Seems like the media really um, is hard on them these days. Unfortunately, the media just seems to drive people's thoughts, and oftentimes the media is just wrong, Uh, and that's unfortunate for law enforcement because uh, law enforcement catches the negative uh, aspects or, or, or you know, the backside of of their what they're selling to the public.
2: Yeah, that's very true. Um, If we can, let's uh, – O.J. Simpson just – well, he beat the the murder rap that was – he was on trial for that was the center of media attention for years. So he finds himself in Las Vegas in this hotel room with all this memorabilia that wasn't his just because it might have been cards that he signed or autographed or footballs he's autographed. It wasn't his. You go on to describe how uh, there's a number of other people's memorabilia in there. What was the purpose for him taking, uh, for for committing this crime? What was the motivation?
4: Well, uh, let me give you a quote, and I quote it in the book, and this is actually from O.J. Simpson. And um, he, he he says it after, so even the after party was recorded. And this is what O.J. Simpson says. He said, I knew the Goldmans would get it and sell it, so I told these guys do whatever they want with it. I think so much of the intent behind it, even by his own admission, was to keep property away from uh, the Goldmans. Uh, he made the he made references like that beforehand, also to the other suspects. Okay. And that's
1: something in the book that I was uh, I expected, but I didn't expect with the level of specificity that you, that you laid out there. And um, I'm just going to read one sentence from the book. I promise it's not a spoiler. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> um, it, which, um. Which I thought was really interesting and and maybe this is kind of a cliffhanger for the people out there that will get the book. It's my decision not to conduct a full search of the room when it would end up being a pretty big mistake for which I am solely responsible as you're writing and I gotta tell you when I read that, I thought, my goodness um uh, as that is as that as you develop that um just wow okay I, I I don't know where I was going with that, except to say you know that that that's one heck of a statement to make, and um i just i can't imagine you know i mean it's it's not a life or death thing, but nonetheless it's it was costly, yeah yeah it was and and folks if, if that alone should be enough for you to be on Amazon right now, okay yeah um all right um detective caldwell the uh, you, you say that
2: you received a significant amount of blowback. Yeah, vile blowback at times in response to us. your book.
1: And <laughs> we've seen, you, you know, know,
2: we've seen the nasty types of, of things we get. Um, I can. What I were the, some of the biggest complaints and worst complaints that you got?
4: So I only preface my response by saying, um, you know, part of promoting the book, I I went on Facebook and and I I, right after the parole hearing, I just simply stated my opinion on the parole hearing. You know, in the parole hearing, um, Simpson addressing the parole board said to the parole board, and I and I have no idea even where this came from, and I'm going to paraphrase this that after the after the uh, conviction, the property all went to California, which is true, Uh, went to the California courts for the California courts to make a determination who was the actual owner of the property. California courts made a determination that all but 16 items belonged to um, Bruce Fromong, the actual victim. And of those 16 items, the only reason they didn't go back to Bruce Fromong is because um Fromong would explain that he just he didn't have the receipts. Um, he just couldn't go back 19 years and provide. So everything else went back to Fromong. Now that's what actually happened. Now Simpson then goes in to say that he that California gave him all the property back. And he even he makes a statement, I wrote it down, and he he he, he gets questioned by the board member about essentially it doesn't seem like what you're saying is measuring up. And Simpson actually yells at the, the parole board uh, uh member and he says, They've given it back to me and I have it now. And and that was such an egregious lie that I thought um, I, I would actually address that on Facebook that how do you lie I mean to that level and the response I got was interesting um, I had people respond to me saying that I'm I'm an evil person uh, that I'm a liar um, that the law enforcement is corrupt that I'm corrupt um, and that's where I guess the groundswell uh, started of the negative feedback from the book, and the book was released on that day. Uh, I took some notes here of some of the things that I've been had comments posted. I'm, I'm a pastor, and this is probably the most creative one that had, took a little research. Was, uh, do you praise God with those lying lips? Wow! Uh, I've been called, <laughs> I've been called evil, sick, uh, worse than him. I've been called trash and a liar over um, explaining what actually happened um, versus the story that he he's said happened
1: and i and i could tell you this folks here's a here's a man who went through every legal hoop to make sure that everything that he did was on solid ground and uh for him to receive that kind of blowback is totally i mean that's just ignorance ignorance of of, uh, ignorance of the case ignorance of the facts and certainly um well you know that starstruck mentality where hey they could do no wrong but uh amazing stuff it r- really is and, and, and being a pastor our producer uh, John Robertson is here and uh, he, he was saying um because he worked in the our producer worked in Hollywood and concurrent with working with our show and uh doing some other things as well yeah. um and and he and he during the break he said how did you detective how did you Working as a detective in Sin City, um, uh, doing what you do, and 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 pastoring a church there as well, while also getting your your degree. I mean, how did that? Did you feel like you were living two or like two different people, living two different lives, or how did that, how'd that well, feel for you?
4: You know, it, it was hard, um, but I I think my faith actually made me a better uh, police officer, a better detective, uh, because in, in my faith. My goal is actually to help people. And and sometimes, I know it's hard to see, um, but to have grace doesn't mean we enable and let people continue down a path that's going to inevitably hurt themselves or the public. Um, So my faith um, led me to believe that the best thing I could do to serve Christ was to help uh, hold people accountable and and treat them like people, um, but with the goal of restoring them. Um, restoring them to a place where they can uh, have the opportunity to hear the gospel. So I do feel like it, it gave me a unique perspective and made me a better cop. Um, so it was actually a, um, it was an amazing thing for me at the end of my career to have that experience. Yeah, I,
1: I, I can I can imagine. Um, my goodness, just, just a, a colorful. Um, <laughs> career, I suppose, and life experience, all wrapped in one. Um, well, if if you don't mind, as we as we here, we only have about twenty minutes left. I, I'm, I'm looking at fifteen minutes left. Thank you. Um, what are we seeing today with respect to the uh, what's happening with the police departments? So last year, the, the five police officers assassinated in Dallas and. We're seeing um, all sorts of things take place. And then, of course, on the other side, you're seeing, admittedly, police brutality, um, the rise of this warrior mentality of, of police officers, which is kind of understandable given the, the former. But but what are we seeing? And, and and you can segue your experiences into that as well as perhaps even, even commentary on what we saw in uh, Charlottesville, Virginia.
4: Sure. Let me just – let me say this. I'm offering my opinion, my opinion alone. Uh, But I I think what we're seeing in law enforcement is um, people are forgetting that (laughs) police officers are just – they're people. We make mistakes. We're not perfect. And because there is – we're an easy target when we make mistakes – and people like to highlight those mistakes. But I think the downfall that we have right now is the media is enjoying so much pointing out those mistakes because for, for whatever the media's motivation is, um, they create ratings by creating this division in our country, and, and people get excited and they watch the news, and who pays the price is law enforcement. And I know that there is um, some talk of this warrior mentality coming out in law enforcement, but unfortunately what I think is more prevalent is this uh, mentality of, um, well, I can't get in trouble if I don't do anything. And so you're going to see, I believe, law enforcement um, somewhat um, kind of recoil um, because, you know, we only get in trouble when we're actually taking risks to help people or, or to prevent crime. Um, if we're not proactive, then we don't enter into these circumstances where we get in trouble and unfortunately i think the media is going to create an environment where law enforcement officers are just going to turn the other cheek rather than engaging
1: Hmm. okay and that makes perfect sense with with what we're seeing and we just uh we just had coach dave
2: Dobbenmeyer on a former uh uh high school football coach who is a, a a christian leader and um if we can i want to get into your experience as a, a pastor what are you Seeing in the churches, are you seeing people becoming uh, more engaged? Is the church gaining, um, you know, members, congregants, or are we, are you seeing um, a fizzling out sort of uh, where where you go to church and where you pastor?
4: Well, so I'm very fortunate in that. Listen, I have an outgoing personality, so I'm very fortunate that our congregation is growing. However, I think Christianity in America as a whole, um, you know, there's some interesting things happening. Um, there is... Um, people are... They almost push theology out. Um, we don't want the truth of the gospel. We'd rather have people tell us, you know, how we can live our best life now rather than how can we serve Jesus. Um, so there, there is this this very... Um, liberal mindset to, to get away from the Bible being the word of God and, and to the Bible being more of a guideline and, and I think the uh, unfortunate aspect of that is um, it creates hypocrisy uh, where it's not needed and, and when people see hypocrisy even people who are seeking uh, they just turn their back on it um, so I do see a, a very liberal mindset entering into the church and we see that with uh, you know various denominations embracing things uh, um, that the Bible specifically prohibits um, and, and so we You know as, as a culture We've jumped on this slippery slope That, that seems to be almost out of control um, I, I'm very thankful for uh, You know the traditional aspects Of church that are, are trying to maintain Biblical orthodoxy and, and that's my goal My goal is to maintain biblical orthodoxy and, and share that the Bible is God's word And we need to turn to it Not away from it
2: no, you're exactly right, and um I, I'm glad to hear you answer the question that way because there are a lot of churches and a lot of pastors that seem to be conforming to the wor- wor- world <laughs> rather than uh, sticking to uh, the biblical foundations that, that were laid out for us, and uh, in my own experience, I've said this many times uh, as a Presbyterian, I had to leave my church because they voted in to accept the... Homosexual clergy and homosexual marriage, and I left uh, with about half the, uh, I heard half of the church or more left also. So the, where you are and what you're doing is sticking to the principles that are uh, biblical principles and not swaying to how people want the, the church to change and how the world wants the church to change.
4: You know, I heard, I heard it once said, and I don't want to take claim for this, that if I believe the Bible is the word of God and that word of God says that every 42 year old man will jump up and down on one leg for an hour each day Then I believe it's my obligation to try to jump up and down for an hour on one leg each day I might fail but if I believe it to be the word of God I'm going to actually obey it and that's my goal my goal is to just get people to understand that it is the word of God and and, and we turn to it to see what pleases God and we seek to serve him in doing so
2: no you're absolutely absolutely right, and it's uh you know we didn't know um the history and 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 how you pastored and how your uh how your church was, but you know so often today as you said the the uh pastors are are trying to be more pleasing to and more appealing to um you know the secularist and the and the people who don't believe the gospel for what it is teaching another Jesus if you will. Flocking to churches where they where they have their ears tickled, as the scripture says, and it is it is very um, disheartening to see that. Do you believe that uh, with the state uh, the political division uh, that we see today, um, especially you know now the media is so on board with labeling anything that is American as bad, even getting to the points where they're labeling you know Christians as intolerant and hateful. Do you see a day in this country where Christianity and or the Bible will be outlawed?
4: I see the government definitely trying to control it. You know, I think something interesting happened two weeks ago, and you might be familiar with this. Uh, Richard Dawkins, a uh, well-known atheist, um, but he's he's an equal opportunity hater of religion. Um, you, he makes no bones about the fact that he hates all religion. Uh, but it's not until he spoke out against Islam that suddenly uh, the progressive movement in our country has now shunned him. Um, you know, he was blocked from uh, talking on a radio station because of his negative comments about uh, Islam, not about Christianity. It's okay to uh, talk bad about Christianity, uh, but for some reason there's a line about talking bad about other um, organizations. I think yeah. I might have lost you there for a moment. but No, that's pretty um, crazy.
2: I didn't see that story. Um, yeah,
4: it's, it's, it's fascinating, and you know, if, if you just take a moment to read about it, it, it it's it's an interesting, I think, insight into um, the mindset of the progressive movement. That um, Christianity is is what's targeted, um, not um, not the fact that there is some sort of religion. It's it's uh, there's some specificity to our faith in Christ that offends people so much.
1: Oh yeah, yeah very well said, and I think that is the dividing line um the our discussion about biblical christianity and about uh 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 about our lord and savior i mean that's what appears to be the um the uh, flashpoint if you will that uh, separates what what we can and can't say or what uh, you know the corporate media will, will allow one to say um as as well um uh, I, I i'm just I, i'm the the pastoring you're doing right now as a senior pastor for your church um, what what are you most passionate about and what are you seeing are you seeing a revival i guess is my question um, yeah. go ahead
4: so yeah, I do think that um People are hungry for the truth. Uh, I think they're tired of the watered down message uh, uh, that has been so prevalent throughout american christianity um, and, and I think that when when you just go back to the truth, when you're willing to actually give the fullness of the gospel, when we're willing to actually talk about who Christ is, not just uh, um, in you know saying that love is this uh, ab- abstract concept that he's just love, but you know in love he's wrathful. He he he's he's graceful. He's he's everything. Um, so I think people are, are are they're hungry for the truth of the Bible, and I do think there are people that are tired of this watered down message. So yeah, I I do think there is a resurgence in. Um, or, or people are refreshed by somebody who will just come in and, and preach from the Word of God. Just, you know, uh, at our church last week I did Galatians 1 through 15, and next week we'll start in verse 16, and we'll go through the next section. We do word by word, uh, line by line, verse by verse, and, and, and let's just get to the truth of what God said. And, and I do see a resurgence in that, uh, but there's no getting around. People are attracted to the message of, you know, my best life now.
1: That's, um, so that, that's right. that one hurts. Yeah, I- indeed. Just uh I just received a question here with uh, uh well, I guess I'll skip that one. Um okay, so you're the you're you're the senior pastor of the Mill City uh Christian Church and that of course is what just north of Eugene and east of Salem, Oregon is that
4: Yeah, we're in fact on Monday we're right in the we're in the path of the totality of the eclipse. So we're going to get a full eclipse right where we're at.
1: Wow, okay. And, and that's okay. interesting. <laughs> yeah, and, and how now how do you look at something like that uh, as a pastor, but but also the logical side because of your experience as a law enforcement officer, but really having faith um in God. I mean, how, how do you look at the eclipse and do you think it, obviously it it's it's a sign from God or um is related to to, to us in some fashion?
4: Well, I think that's you know, the stars and the sky above, the creation around us is a reminder um, that we are a creation created by a creator. Um, but I, I don't think we should make too much of it. I think um, when God tells us that no man knows uh, the day, we need just to focus on that. Live each and every day worthy of the gospel of Christ and don't worry about when um, the end is coming. Um, because if, if we're ready, then it's not relevant. We we get to joyously celebrate being with our Lord and Savior. Um, so don't get caught up in the is this the day? Is this the time? It, it's it's pointless. But we should still celebrate it as a a reminder of the the the, the
2: just magnificence of our Creator. Boy, well said. All right, Pastor. Now I'm going to ask you a a question for from the for the detective. Uh, part of sure. it. I love how it's the te- Detective and Pastor, um, the O.J. <laughs> o. Simpson parole hearing. Did you agree with the 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 uh, parole board? And uh, if no, why not?
4: Okay, so that's that's a little more uh, complex than a yes no answer. Um, so. The objective nature of it that is just a checklist of, you know, was he a good inmate? Has he served a certain amount of time? I have to respect that um, because that's part of the system. Whether I agree with it or not, I, I have to respect that. And, and But I do not believe that you should be rewarded for lying uh, on the scale that he lied. Um, you know, he didn't need to do it, but the mere fact that you did it, um, to me, doesn't merit being awarded parole. I hope that answers the question.
1: That was actually one of the questions that I wasn't going to ask, but I'm glad you did. And yeah, I think it does. <laughs> um, yeah, we were getting just a, just a lot of questions, a lot of comments, a lot of positive comments, pastor, um, uh, about, uh, about your role in, uh, in not just the case, but, uh, about you, uh, furthering your, your advancing into, uh, pastoring a church. So that, that's, that's, that's kind of neat. Um, And folks, our guest is, uh, Detective
2: Andy Caldwell. His book, again, Room 1203. Uh, now this was the hotel room that, uh, was robbed and OJ Simpson, you know, kidnapped people, held them captive as he, as he robbed them. One of the charges that he had was a kidnapping charge. And the book 1203 is, uh, Detective Caldwell's story uh, of his investigation, uh, and this goes what from the the inception of the investigation and covers all the way till
1: um, till when, the
4: to the conviction. I, I the walk day. you through. Yep. The time Eddie and I get the call, all the way to the end. Yeah.
1: Our, uh, now a couple of questions here. It's kind of a lightning round, if you will. A minute and, uh, and a half. A minute and a half. Okay. Are you? Uh, sure. Do you, Do you still keep in touch with with Eddie and your your former? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. With, with the your your uh, officers.
4: I do. I uh, I have regular... Eddie and I were friends outside of work and partners at work, so uh, our families, we used to do things together, so yeah, I stay in touch with them.
1: Okay, uh, and uh, these are listener questions. Uh, uh, any problem with your position as a pastor in conducting or in participating in the uh, documentary?
4: Uh, no. Um, in fact, I've, I've got to preview the documentary, and it was very well done, uh, very respectful of my faith. In fact, they highlight my faith. Um, so, no, uh, I've ran into no issues with it.
1: Okay. All right. If you could do anything differently, um, whether it be with respect to the O.J. Simpson case, you're handling it thereof, or uh, well, anything with respect to that, would you do anything different? And, and I, That's such a broad question. I don't know if if you would have use... searched that
2: for better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um well, all right. Um okay, so we we got about a minute left of our time together. Just whatever's on your heart if you want to share with with our listeners here in, in the in the final moment, uh, the final minute that we have together. Feel free.
4: You know, I guess if I could share anything, uh kind of highlighting that point you made of police today, uh I would just ask that um you bear in mind that there's two sides to every story and oftentimes uh, law enforcement can't respond um, with what they know uh, because it would compromise the investigation. So I I would just ask to be mindful that um, the media doesn't always get it right and be mindful of the fact that um, sometimes the media, they're telling you things that they want you to believe because it it fulfills a storyline. And so just, I would just ask that, Trust that police officers are out there to serve you, to benefit you, and just give them the benefit of the doubt.
1: All right, sir. Andy Caldwell, former Las Vegas Police Department detective and pastor, Mr. Caldwell, would you would you agree at some point to come back and visit with us in the future?
4: Sure, anytime. All right, uh, my be brother. a
1: pleasure. All right, thank you so much for your gracious gift of time. Thank you for what you've done and what you do. And the author of uh, book, the book Room Twelve O Three. You've got to get that book, folks. Man, I'm telling you, it's a great read. It really is. You're listening to the Hagman Report. Going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. Network break.
5: Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In as the darkness falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation.
3: Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com. Our phone, 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com.
5: You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way, Everett. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles... Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at hagmanandhagman.com and click on the link Stain by Blood at hagmanandhagman.com and click on the link Stain by Blood
2: This Tuesday edition of the Hagman Report. See, I almost forgot the day. There, today is the fifteenth day of August, twenty seventeen. We're already
1: halfway through August. Summer is disappearing, and that's. Uh, can I? Can I ask you something, Joe? Sure. And, and and our vast studio audience out there, we we got Tech Eric in the spaceship seat, and of course uh, John, our producer over here. But uh, I'm serious, and I'll ask you, you, the audience, Um I just find myself uh, constantly amazed. I mean, I. I have a, a, a routine, and I'm not going to get into it. But I, I, well, except to say this, I get up in the morning at my house, and I'll walk my dog, or I'll let my dog outside. And we've got this very, this really kind of a nice area where my dog and I spend some time in contemplation and, and watching the sunrise. And and you can watch the the sun move, you know, uh, in the sky, and you can tell that summer is waning. But my question to you guys um or, or isn't it, uh, it doesn't it feel like time is just racing well beyond anything that you've experienced in the past i know they say the older you get the, the time you know the more faster time goes i get that but man i think it's almost like there's a time compression going on that's just what i think but anyway um so that was my question to joe who is uh we're getting some feedback so he's trying to resolve that issue uh but uh yeah it just it just seems like it's it's uh, the time is not the time is acting kind of kind of funky there uh, but uh nonetheless uh coming up is Brandon house and worldviewweekend.com but uh to talk about a very specific issue, one that should be important to all of us, and this has this has got national security implications, and he's got the backstory to to those. National security implications, and so you, you're going to need to listen to this. This this is a critical, critical hour about very contemporaneous issues that affect our national security. He's got some information, direct information on this. Brandon House, you're familiar with him, uh, and by a number of other uh, number of other issues, um, but but this is extremely important. But having said that, Joe, uh, I also want to mention if you haven't done so already, please. 9 to 10, Doug Hagman Radio Show, 2 to 3, Joe and John Robertson. You, you can uh, listen to them and listen to us. We've expanded our program programming to five hours per day. That's why about 9 o'clock on a Friday night I'm going, b b b b b b b b Anyway, Joe, I'm going to turn it over to you. you yeah, our,
2: our guest with us is Brandon House, WorldViewWeekend.com. Brandon's a, a frequent guest on the show. And he has—he's the host of his own show as well. And we got a lot we're going to get into tonight, Brandon. Welcome back to the Hagman Report.
7: Great to be with you guys. Thank you.
2: I love it. Every time you come on, you always got a different background going on, and uh,
1: I like the the monitors there. It looks really,
2: yeah. really
7: sharp.
1: Eric, pay attention to this. Yeah. Eric, the we're, tech.
7: Okay. We're in the TV studio. This is our TV studio. Sometimes I'm in my office. Sometimes I'm in the living room. Sometimes I'm in, up here. Tonight I'm up here.
2: Gotcha. Well, it, look, it looks great. It looks great. Thank you. Um, well Let's jump right in. Brandon, why is it being reported that H.R. McMaster has fired National Security Council staffer Rich Higgins?
7: Well, this is a very important story, and the reason it looks like he's been fired is because he actually wrote a six-and-a-half-page memo that I have right here to the President of the United States telling him what is the great threat to the United States as well as to his presidency. Uh, I was in my recliner the other night uh, trying to recover from a uh, slipped disc. I broke my back in 1999 and occasionally will do something very, very simple and slip a disc. I can do heavy lifting and nothing happens, bend over to take a frisbee out of my dog's mouth, and my back goes out, the bulging disc. And I was in my recliner working, and uh, an email came in from a friend of mine he who's heavily tied to the intelligence community, and it was this six-and-a-half-page memo. And the next morning, it was on Breitbart. And when I read the memo, I was absolutely, uh, shocked. And the reason why is I'm not sure a president has ever been briefed with so much truth uh, relating to the big picture of what's happening in the country and how we got where we are and where we're going. But what also shocked me is I almost had to wonder if this man, uh, Rich Higgins did not read my book that I wrote uh, and was researching in 2006 and 7 and 8. Wrote it mostly in 2008, and it is my book, Grave Influence. Now I'm assuming he didn't read the book. Let's assume he didn't, because I have no proof he did. it. But if he didn't read my book, it sounds like he did. And this book, again, was written in 2008, researched in 2007 and 8, written in 2008. It was it's it's one of my bestsellers. It's a hardcover, Grave Influence, 21 Radicals and Their Worldviews That Rule America from the Grave. And as I read through this memo, he's warning of the very things I warned about in this book, which, by the way, is part of a trilogy. It was first Grave Influence, then Religious Trojan Horse, and then the coming Religious Reich. So this is the first of a trilogy saying, how did we get here? Who are the people that have influenced the country, and what are they doing? Well, in this memo, guys, he lays out the names that I talk about in whole chapters in the book Grave Influence. He talks about cultural Marxism that came from the Frankfurt School. He talks about the globalists, the corporatist, the internationalists, the statist. He actually uses the word Fabian socialism. That's not something a lot of people go around talking about and certainly probably don't read the President of the United States on. I've wrote extensively about Fabian socialism in grave influence and the coming uh, and in religious Trojan Horse. He goes on to talk about the Frankfurt School. Now we can get into what all this means. And your, your listeners are going to start their draw their jaws are going to start dropping on the floor here in a minute, because they're going to start to understand, if they don't already, how we got here, where we're going. But here's a guy trying to warn the president. He also talked about the imposing dialectic or the Hegelian dialectic process. And then he went on to talk about uh, Herbert Marcuse of the Frankfurt School, as well as the urbanization of America. Why is it there's a war on farmers? Why is it there's a war on private property? And why is there the goal to move most Americans into, uh, an urban regions so they can be closely controlled? Part of sustainable development, Agenda 21 from the United Nations, uh, furthered by all parties. In fact, he gets into that in his memo. The deep state, the Republican establishment and the Democrats and the globalists and the bankers, the internationalists are all working together. Now, I've been writing about these things and speaking about these things since the early nineties. Uh started out with the uh, being the education reporter for the Michael Reagan show, Ronald Reagan's oldest son, his literary agent, frequent guest host. And um I can tell you, uh I've been accused of a lot of things over the years that include being a conspiratorist into conspiratorial theories, um or conspiracy theories. Uh no. You know what? Let me just say to some of the people in, quote, ministry, and some of these pastors, many of who are not pastors, they're hirelings, and some of these other so-called Christians, these fake Christians, these goats, these tares among the wheat that attack Christian ministries who are trying to actually tell them what's going on, so they have a comprehensive biblical worldview, the things that they've been saying are conspiracy theories he's mocking us over, and a a six-and-a-half-page report now given to the President of the United States that he reportedly read and actually thought was very, very good, that he was quite excited about what he read, that he was quite positive about it, and um, was happy to have gotten the, the report. But supposedly, the head of the National Security Council, McMaster, R.H. McMaster, was furious and, according to a Breitbart reporter, uh, detonated. But McMaster allegedly detonated and he was furious over the report, and again, it is reported, the President of the United States did get a copy of it, he did read it, and he
2: likes what he read. Okay. Um, Brandon, what's the backstory to H.R. McMaster and his position in Islam and his relationship, if, if any, with Islamic specific organizations? Because yeah. I did not know, uh, know about this.
7: Yeah. yeah, and I could do a lot on him, but I'll just give you the overall sketch. But a lot of people believe he's way too closely tied to some of the Islamic groups, mother, Muslim Brotherhood and others. But let me just quote Breitbart in their article. Sources say they were also uh, dedicated to the president's agenda, meaning to people that were let go. He, he's not only fired Higgins, but he fired two other people. Uh, McMaster's, which disagrees with the president on numerous issues, including the Iran deal, Afghanistan, and whether there's such a thing as, quote, radical Islam. Well, you know what? McMaster would be in good company with a lot of the hirelings and fake Christians uh, that go around telling us that. One guy this week, a so-called minister, said that Islam does not pose a spiritual threat to the church. Maybe a physical threat, but no spiritual threat. It's amazing to me that people who are in Christian ministry and even pastors so-called pastors, because there are a lot of great pastors who do get it. One of them is my friend, former uh, Muslim, now Christian pastor, Sharam Hadian, who's warning. So there are a lot of pastors in America, I should say a lot, there's a there's a number of pastors in America that get it, and I'm thankful for them. There's a lot of them that don't get it, and many of them are hirelings, and there are others that are in ministry that have bought into a theology that is um, really, I think, in many ways, made them so spiritually minded that they're not understanding the other side of the coin, which is not only God's sovereignty, but the other side man's responsibility. And so they go about saying Islam is no threat to the church or no spiritual threat to the church. Well, we also have people now in, in religious uh, circles saying these kind of things. We have people in the high places of government, like McMaster at the National Security Council, saying to the president, and, and, and according to this report, that radical Islam may not even exist.
2: Wow, okay. Um In his memo, Mr. Higgins warned the president of the U.S. about numerous threats to the country and his presidency. Uh, If we could go through some of these threats and what they are, um, and please let us know, why would he warn the president about cultural Marxism and some of the other things he did?
7: Yeah, cultural Marxism. Your audience knows maybe the term. You got a smart audience, so they probably know the term. But if they don't, they do know the term that's masking cultural Marxism, and that's called political correctness. Uh, we've known it since the uh, since uh, well, really since 1933 as cultural Marxism. I mean, or as political correctness. It's really cultural Marxism. A lot of people probably think political correctness came about in the 1980s. Uh, no, it's really came. It came to America in about 1933, uh, but they couldn't call it what it really is, cultural Marxism, so they called it political correctness. And political correctness hides many things, multiculturalism, tolerance, feminism, diversity, and we can define those terms, white privilege. Um, but this all started by a, a group of uh, intellectuals in Germany. Uh, and some of them were uh, of, of, ju- of Jewish persuasion, and when Hitler came to full power in 33, they decided it was time to get out of America, I mean, excuse me, out of Germany and come to America. But in 1923, they started what was known as what we call the Frankfurt School. It was really supposed to be the Marxist, a Marxist institution, and they really actually were very blunt about their neo-Marxism or their Marxism. Um, but they knew they couldn't use that phrase, so they came up with a clever-sounding phrase. We called it the Frankfurt School. That's what Mr. Higgins called it in his report to the president of the United States uh, in May of this year, uh, the, uh, the Frankfurt School, and he then went on to say, cultural Marxism is the threat to America, well, cultural Marxism is what the Frankfurt School brought to America in 1933. They were brought here at the, um, uh, really at the, uh, by the help of John Dewey, the father of modern education in America. Uh, he helped start the uh, Social Society of America. He helped start the American Civil Liberties Union. He signed the Humanist Manifesto. This is John Dewey, and he had a man in his early 20s that was his right-hand man that helped drop. these German intellectuals down in America to have a revolution. And they were dropped down at Brandeis and Berkeley and all over the country because they said, we're going to go after two institutions, media and education. Media and education. And the young man in his early 20s that helped drop these people down at these institutions, helping John Dewey, was none other than a man by the name of Edward R. Murrow. Now, most Americans know he was a CBS broadcaster uh, on radio and later television. He went on to become probably most famous for doing his best to destroy a U.S. senator from Wisconsin by the name of Joseph McCarthy, who was warning about the communist, the neo-Marxist, in education and media trying to have a revolution in America. And he was marginalized, and he was characterized, and the media destroyed him. And of course, Edward R. Murrow helped do it. Well, of course he would. Edward R. Murrow, as a young man, helped John Dewey bring uh, these people to America, known as the Frankfurt School, who brought us cultural Marxism, which we call political correctness. And what their goal is, is to change the values of Americans. And they openly said their goal was a couple of things. The destruction of Christianity. Openly. The destruction of Christianity. And then the destruction of a patriarchal society, a male society, and replacing it with a matriarchal society. So destroying a patriarchal society, a male-led, where the man defends the family, provides for the family, and replace it with a matriarchal society. And then eventually, they said their goal was the destruction of all gender. No masculinity, no femininity, only a general humanness. Does that sound like what's going on today? As you have, what, 50-some-odd or more? genders today yeah. and so I can tell you a little bit more how this happened but that was their goal and then I can tell you also who helped influence these people as well as tell you who some of their leading people were whose names you might recognize
1: Well, uh, okay, and, and Brandon I think we are going to uh, compliments of uh, thanks to Global Star Network for uh, allowing us to skip to the bottom of the hour break I believe that to be the case uh, so, right, guys. so could, you gotta make money. what's that
7: you got to make money. You guys are capitalists. Every time I come on the show you you you, you don't have brakes.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you something. Um, the information you're providing is so important and so relevant. And you mentioned cultural marxism and I I don't think people have a really good understanding about the uh, about Dewey in the in the education system and the cultural marxism that is being infused has been infused in the, the, today's society um this utopian communist road to hell that we're on and that the uh, left of course is attempting to uh, force upon us but um so all of this is is so I- extremely important um and, and we're seeing this as well um with with the HR McMaster situation his position on Islam his position um and Mr. Hagan's warning the president of the United States about the, the the numerous threats. So all of this, you're painting this picture, you're filling in this this intricate mosaic, and I think that this is this will give people a window into what's taking place. Today. And by the way, I just want to say this to the people listening. I said this this morning on my morning show, uh, I believe it was this morning or yesterday morning, the fact that Joe McCarthy was correct, and do not believe. Uh, don't anyone listening to this program who uses McCarthy as a verb or a, uh, McCarthyism, or, you know, who says McCarthyism, do not do that. Um, McCarthy was absolutely one hundred percent correct. Uh, that's not a pejorative term, uh, or shouldn't be. McCarthy was correct about the in- communist infiltration. Now we're seeing the red-green axis, as you pointed out, Brandon, and of course right. in a, now in this situation, it is critical. So, uh,
7: but You're the In this report, Higgins, Mr. Higgins goes on to warn about the Marxists and the Muslims over and over and how they're working together. And and I'm, I and you guys and several other people that get it have been warning about the Marxist-Muslim coalition for a long time. And of course I believe from a biblical perspective, a prophetic perspective, Ezekiel 38-39, tells us this Muslim-Marxist coalition will eventually grow and they will move against Israel. Uh, It'll be all over the world seen. But this Marxist-Muslim coalition is exactly what Mr. Higgins is trying to warn the President of the United States about in this memo. You know, a lot of our listeners probably don't know the name Herbert Marcuse. The the, the name was mentioned in this uh, document, 6.5-page document, by Mr. Higgins. Who, By the way, Mr. Higgins has a uh, history of, uh, it says here at Breitbart, he's a former army explosive specialist, justice department consultant, Pentagon official, and also had taught as a professor at the National War College, according to the Daily Caller interview last year. So he is a pretty educated guy, and he is warning about a fellow by the name of Herbert Marcuse in this report. Well, Herbert Marcuse is one of the guys I warn about in my book, written again in 2008, and here we are 2017, and these are the same people, the same ideas, the same philosophies that he's warning about in 2017 that I was warning about in whole chapters in the book Grave Influence, Herbert Marcuse being one of them. Now your audience may not know who he is, but they know this phrase that he coined, make love, not war. They They all know that phrase, make love, not war. That's Herbert Marcuse. He was with the Frankfurt School, again, mentioned by him, also whole chapter in my book Grave Influence. He was with the Frankfurt School. He coined the phrase, make love, not war. He was a consultant, if you will. He discipled many of the radical students of the 1960s. And um, he openly said, one can rightfully, this is a quote, one can rightfully speak of a cultural revolution, since the protest is directed toward the whole cultural establishment, including the morality of existing society. So you've got to destroy the morality of a society. There is one thing we can say with complete assurance that the traditional idea of revolution and the traditional strategy of revolution has ended. These ideas are old-fashioned. He says we must undertake what is a new type of diffused and dispersed disintegration of the system. and A, a diffused and dispersed disintegration of the system. That is what's going on. That is what uh, we heard Obama say. He's going to fundamentally transform America. Well, a diffuse and disperse disintegration of the system is a fundamental transformation of the system. And where did he learn it? Obama. He learned it from being a community organizer and studying Saul Alinsky and then teaching Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky. studied someone by the name of Antonio Gramsci. Antonio Gramsci is yeah. mentioned in six and a six-and-a-half-page document by Mr. Higgins to the President of the United States. Antonio Gramsci is talked about by me in my book in 2008. Antonio Gramsci was a communist in Italy, and he told uh, uh, Mussolini that if you want a revolution that will last, you can't do it at the end of the gun. You've got to change their mind or their worldview so they embrace their slavery. And uh, Mussolini didn't like this and threw him in prison, where he wrote many documents, many, many pages, and Saul Alinsky and others went on to study this. And of course, Obama went on to study Solinsky. Hillary Clinton studied Saul Alinsky. Hillary Clinton wrote her thesis on him at Wesley. Hillary Clinton met him, knew him. He wanted her to come work for him. She decided to go to Capitol Hill she and interned, work
1: on the wall. she interned with him for a while, is my understanding, I believe.
7: I think she did. Yeah. I think she did. So Herbert Mercouza uh, had with the Frankfurt School, who's mentioned in this report to the president was studying uh, Antonio Gramsci, who's mentioned in this report, and this all goes to the Frankfurt School. Now, again, notice that Herbert Macuza said there's a diffused and dispersed disintegration of the system, not at the end of the gun. Revolution is old-fashioned that way. Now it's a destruction of the system. Well, didn't you bring in the Cloward Piven strategy of the husband and wife team from Columbia, who years ago wrote about this that if we can overwhelm the uh, social welfare system, and they tried it in New York first about bankruptcy in New York, gets so many people in the welfare system, it collapses the system, and then you have to roll into nationalizing things, which is one of the goals of Karl Marx and the Communist Manifesto, Marxism. And so that is known as the Cloward-Pibben strategy. Um, He died, she's still alive, and she wrote after President Obama became president-elect that now he needs a protest movement, and the protest movement is meant to scare the living daylights out of politicians and out of the citizenry so that they will finally say, I'm tired of the violence. I'm tired of seeing people pulled out of their cars and having their brains beat in at intersections because they're wearing a Make America Great hat again or they're wearing a, a shirt with American flag on it. Now you have schools that won't let kids wear American flag uh, shirts or jackets or, or T-shirts, and people are being sucker-punched. There's games now where people literally sucker punch people, uh, cold cock them. Uh, a lot of it now is racially motivated. And people finally say, I'm tired of this. And I want safety and security. And so you have to have a protest movement that ends up coming behind and scaring the daylights out of the, po- the people. The people then demand their politicians do something and now you're on your way to a cultural Marxism that rolls into more than cultural, now it's actual economic philosophies putting, put into place. But the goal was eventually to destroy the American male, as I said. Feminism. Not equal rights for women. Feminization of the American male, uh, uh, it is a denigration of the father, of masculinity multiculturalism, not the study of multi, multiple cultures, but a denigration of foundational Western worldview. It included things like tolerance education, which is opposed to anything that is about absolute truth. If you proclaim something from an absolute standpoint, you're now being intolerant. So tolerance education is really against Christianity, ultimately a, a, a worldview that is based on absolute truth. And then it includes things like white privilege, which are really masking terms for being anti-American, anti-Christian, anti-capitalist, anti-family, um, and you know this is this is what is white privilege. And we have many educators being taught in white privilege today. But again, that's a masking term. And I will tell you what's really sad: some of the leading so-called reformed pastors in America, like uh, Matt Chandler and people like uh, uh, John Piper are pushing things like white privilege, Black Lives Matter, and other things, and I have all the documentation. And people would be shocked at the so-called conservative theological pastors that are going to events and hanging out with people like John Piper and Matt Chandler. Now, those names may not mean anything to you, but it's to say this, again, is not just being embraced by the liberal mainline churches or the social justice churches, or the Rick Warren type seeker sensitive mega churches, or Bill Hybels secret churches. This is also coming now from the conservative reformed arena. Some of the same yahoos now, uh, you know, not wanting to condemn in strong terms interfaith dialogue with jihadi imams. They're now some of the same people on this conservative, so-called conservative right side now pushing white privilege and. Um, uh, this whole idea of Black Lives Matter. So, this whole cultural Marxism has been very successful and has even penetrated the ministries and churches, which is why my follow up to Grave Influence was religious Trojan Wars.
2: Wow. You said a whole lot there, uh, Brandon. And, uh, you know, going into the, the Frankfurt School
1: and what their goals were. Um, can you tell us more about that? I mean,
2: I
7: know. Yeah. That you,
1: I know. You, you said a mouthful there, but go ahead.
7: Well, the Frankfurt School, as I said, you know, started in Germany in 1923, came to America in 1933 with the help of John Dewey. To really understand them, you have to understand who influenced them. They really have four guys that they followed, and that would be Karl Marx, uh, Sigmund Freud, Frederick Nietzsche, and uh, George Hegel. Let Let me start out with. Uh, again, the Frankfurt School, what their whole idea was. Their whole goal was Christianity and capitalism is really the source of all suffering and oppression. Sound familiar? That's the Frankfurt School. They came to America, said we'll go after education and media, we'll attack the family, we'll attack uh, the the father, a patriarchal society, we'll replace it with a matriarchal society, we'll we'll grow the welfare state, we'll grow the size of government, we'll change people's worldview and values, then they'll be ready, after they've been propagandized, brainwashed, they'll be ready to embrace outright Marxism, particularly when the system just absolutely collapses and they're starving and there's uh, societal unrest. So they said, the Frankfurt School, Christianity and capitalism is the source of all uh, suffering and oppression. But these guys would underfollow to follow people like, as I said, the list of four guys. Freud, let's start with him, Sigmund Freud. Well, what did he say? He said, among these instinctual wishes are those of incest, cannibalism, and the lust for killing. Now, that's Sigmund Freud. What was he saying? Those who are normal, those who are normal have these instinctual wishes of incest, cannibalism, and the lust for killing. Those are the normal people, says Sigmund Freud. I have a whole chapter in the book, Brave Influence, on it. And he said the people who are not well, who are mentally ill, are those who suppress their natural uh, instinctual wishes, i.e. Christians. So Sigmund Freud went on to say the crazy people are the Christians, and the truly sane people are what we would now today call Insane. In fact, in his book, The Future of Illusion, he described his absolutely negative attitude toward religion in every form and in every uh, delusion. And uh, what we have today, of course, is what? You have documents coming out of the Department of Homeland Security a few years ago saying the people we have to worry about are the veterans, the pro-lifers, those interested in Bible prophecy, the Christians. Those are the extremists. And quite frankly, it fits with what Dr. Pierce of Harvard said back in the 1970s. Dr. Pierce of Harvard said every child who enters school at the age of five is mentally ill. Now, why would a child at five be mentally ill? He said because he enters school with an allegiance toward our elected officials, our founding fathers, our institutions, the preservation of this form of government that we have. He talked about patriotism, nationalism, sovereignty that the child believes in. And he said all this proves that these children are sick, because a truly well individual is one who has rejected all of those things and is what he would call the true international child of the future. Now that is where we're at today. That's Sigmund Freud. They were also influenced by Karl Marx. Karl Marx said, quote, My object in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. That's Karl Marx. The third guy they were influenced by was a guy named Friedrich Nietzsche. Now, Friedrich Nietzsche is most known for saying God is dead. By the way, Frederick Nietzsche and, uh, and, uh, 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 another, uh, French philosopher, her, uh, uh, Frederick Nietzsche and one other guy, uh, whose name will come to me in a minute, Frederick Nietzsche and this other guy, uh, they are two of the most read authors on college campus today. Uh, the French philosopher, his name will come to me in a minute when my hard drive catches up, but Frederick Nietzsche and this other guy, French philosopher, uh, these are two of the most read authors on college campus today. Friedrich Nietzsche. Now think about that. Who is Friedrich Nietzsche then? If He's one of the most read authors on college campus today. And he's, by the way, the father of postmodern thought. Postmodernism says truth and reality are created by man, not by God. Truth is subjective. Your truth is your truth. Mine is mine. Everybody can believe what they want. Friedrich Nietzsche said God is dead. Friedrich Nietzsche also said we can smell his rotting corpse. Friedrich Nietzsche wrote many books. His last book was called The Antichrist. He used to sign his book, Frederick Nietzsche, The Antichrist. Sometimes he just signed it, The Antichrist. But he wrote, quote, I call Christianity the one great curse, the one enormous and innermost perversion, the one moral blemish of mankind. What? Christianity. You're noticing a theme here. Freud says Christians are crazy. Karl Marx says my goal and objective in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. And Frederick Nietzsche says... Christianity is the greatest blemish of all time. Now, by the way, who is it that loved to have his picture taken staring at a bust of Friedrich Nietzsche? Adolf Hitler.
1: Well, fact, he- I just, if I can interject something, Nietzsche had a mental breakdown ultimately, didn't he? Yes. Committed, he committed suicide, didn't he?
7: I don't know if he committed suicide, but he did. The last several years of his life, he was totally out of his mind.
1: Yeah, he, he was gonzo. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I, yeah, I'd have to <laughs> And look. then the
7: guy they were influenced by is a guy named George Hegel. And Hegel came up with the idea, really, and promoted the idea that Marx also embraced, was idea of thesis and antithesis, idea opposite idea. It's known as the Hegelian dialectic process. Mentioned in the May 2017 paper, six and a half pages, by Mr. Richard Higgins of the National Security Council, given to the President of the United States, that Breitbart reports President Trump loved, McMaster was furious, came unglued over it, fired the man, but he writes about the Hegelian dialectic process. I write about it extensively in Grave Influence in 2008. Again, I don't, I'm not going to toot my own horn here, but I'm just telling you. These are the threats I laid out in my book in 2008 as being the greatest threats to the country. This, these are the same threats laid out in this 6 and a half page paper written in 2017. And the people that have ridiculed me for my research, such as this, have said, oh, House, he's into conspiracies. Well, put this in your pipe and smoke it, morons. The National Security Advisor Council member has just put this into six-and-a-half-page letters, basically clip notes of this book. So if it's conspiracy, you now have someone from the Army War College worked at the Justice Department, worked with the Pentagon, was at the National Security Council with high-level security clearances, now saying these are the great threats. But who's the one mocking us and saying these are conspiracy theories? These morons that run around that are within the evangelical establishment brainwashing Christians from listening to the truth. Why? Because they're educated beyond their intelligence. These are the intellectual simpletons. And I challenge them to come on my show, and they never will, because in five minutes I can explain to everyone, by their utter lack of ability to answer the basic questions of history, what utter fools they really are. And yet, my friends, who then has become a great threat to the country? the religious establishment in America along with the Marxists and the Muslims which is why my third book in this trilogy is entitled The Coming Religious Right. Much of the religious establishment, even some on the right are now laying the foundation for globalism and world government that again, this man wrote about in this paper and so George George Hegel said thesis and antithesis, idea opposite idea, get them to fight with each other That fits with what Saul said. The change comes from the conflict. The change comes from the conflict. You want the right and the left to fight. You want the people groups. They call it races. There's only one race, the human race. Acts 17, verse 26, we're of one blood. But they want the, quote, races to fight. The change comes from the conflict. And you have Republican and Democrat. And they fight, fight, fight. And then they merge. And then you have a new thesis, and it's called the Hegelian dialectic process. It's also called the Third Way, and that's what we're doing today. Uh, Bill Clinton did it. He held conferences on the Third Way with Tony Blair at the Democratic Leadership Conference. Uh, George W. Bush was into Third Way. In fact, there was an article in the Washington Post, if I remember correctly, um, that talked about that by a guy named Don Everly. Don Everly admitted in the Washington Post, I think it was February, uh, February of 2001, February 1st, Don Everly admitted that George W. Bush was following communitarianism or the third way. Socialism mixed with capitalism. So you have the socialist and the capitalist. They fight. Then you merge and you have a new thesis, which is a mixture of socialism and capitalism for the third way. Communitarianism. Faith and socialism. By the way, faith and socialism. Mentioned in the report by Mr. Higgins, a whole chapter in my book on grave Influence. Fabian socialism, communitarianism, whatever you want to call it, socialism mixed with capitalism. How do you get this? The two sides fight, and they finally say, well, ah, let's come to agreement and mix a little bit of both, which is why the Republican Party and the Democrat Party is largely a scam. It's what even Carol Quigley, the, the globalist at Georgetown, who wrote Tragedy and Hope and mentored Bill Clinton, and Bill Clinton gave him a shout-out in his uh, first Democratic uh, uh, acceptance speech. He gave a shout out to his former professor, Carol Quigley, who wrote Tragedy and Hope, who said that the whole right and left thing is a scam. There's only a few people who really are on those sides. Uh, you know, you have your few true conservative Republicans and your true hardcore uh, Democrats, but the most of this is really a scam. They want the people to fight so they can then merge to a mixture of both, which is why you have, uh, jokers like McCain, who's a Republican, who really acts like a Democrat. And you got all these people like, McCain and Schumer can work together, and then they merge bills together. As the right and the left fight, they can go nowhere. McCain and Schumer step forward, Republican and Democrat, and they say, ah, here we go. Here's a third way. What is it? Socialism mixed with capitalism. That's George Hegel, and that's what he warns about, the dialectic. But it doesn't really go on in education or in, uh, in uh, politics and public policy. It goes on in education, religion, and in economics.
2: Okay, Brandon Higgins mentions that establishment Republicans are a threat. Uh, can you get into that a little bit more? I know you just did with McCain, but we have the never Trumpers, uh, the not my presidents, the, uh, the rhinos in there, the, the Paul Ryans, and then the quiet ones who are still against Trump quietly stalling on things like legislation.
1: Um, what threat do the Republicans and, pose? And I would argue they are part, a component of the deep state or the shadow government. Go ahead, sir.
7: Yeah, and that's exactly what he warns about in this paper is the deep state. And that these groups are working, conspiring together. You know, I got a great quote by Fabian Socialist. They remember he mentions Fabian Socialism in his report, founded in London in the early 1800s, or mid-1800s. But, uh, uh, Julian Huxley was the first uh, director, executive director uh, of the United Nations Education Scientific Cultural Organization. He said this. He said, At the moment two opposing philosophies of life confront each other, you may categorize the two philosophies as two supernaturalisms, or as individualism versus collectivism, or as capitalism versus communism. He said, Or as Christianity versus Marxism. He says, Can these opposites be reconciled? This antithesis be resolved in a higher synthesis. He says, I believe not only this that this can happen, but that through the inexorable dialectic of evolution, it will. In other words, it doesn't matter if we're talking capitalism versus communism, Christianity versus Marxism. You've got to merge them together and come up with a new thesis and an idea so you can keep moving the ball down the field. That's what the Republicans and the Democrats are doing. So whether it's Christianity versus Marxism, capitalism versus communism, Republicans versus Democrat, they must merge, get a new thesis, keep moving the ball down the field to the left. Now, when Trump started talking about some of these issues on his campaign, the deep state got very concerned. Because now you have a man, if he will put into practice what he was saying, will destroy and expose them. And that's why they hate that he's on Twitter, Because they can't filter his Twitter. And he is now exposing the fake news, the fake media. Because remember, the Frankfurt School said we're going after education and media. Education and media. Trump knows that the media is part of this uh, deep state, uh, Frankfurt School, uh, cultural Marxist agenda.
2: Okay. Um, Fabian Socialism is also mentioned by Higgins in the memo. Can you define that for us?
7: Well, as I said earlier, it was founded in in, in Europe in the uh, mid-1800s, and the goal of Fabian socialism is probably best understood by going to a computer and typing in the Fabian window. It was designed in 1910, if I remember correctly, by George Bernard Shaw, and uh, George Bernard Shaw was a famous Fabian. Uh, He also founded the Fabian Society with Beatrice Webb and Sidney Webb, among others. And in the Fabian window, designed in 1910, you see two people, a man in a red coat and a man in a uh, green coat, banging on an earth, a hot globe, and it's on an anvil, and behind one of the men uh, is a fire. And one of the men is holding the hot earth with a pair of palms, and they're both banging on it with a hammer. This represents some kind of crisis, a global crisis. At the top of the window, it says, remold it nearer to the heart's desire. Again, designed by George Bernard Shaw in 1910. Above the globe is their Fabian logo, which is a wolf in sheep's clothing, which is why the follow-up to Grave Influence was Religious Trojan Horse and then the coming Religious Reich. They will use religion to do this. Tony Blair is perhaps one of the most well-known Fabian Socialists. and the Fabian Socialist Society was birthed the Labor Party. Tony Blair was Prime Minister from the Labour Party. By the way, that Fabian window at some point disappeared, was stolen, showed up at an auction, and several years ago it was unveiled. The keynote speaker who praised the Fabian Society and hoped that the Labour Party still embraced its values? Tony Blair. Tony Blair today runs the Tony Blair Faith Foundation, seeking to bring the religions of the world together as one. Tony Blair shows up at Rick Warren's church a few years ago, speaks for 90 minutes in, in a conversation with him, and receives an award. Tony Blair also spoke at a, quote, Christian Southern Baptist College in Jackson, Tennessee a few years ago, about an hour and a half from where I'm sitting now. That's a Southern Baptist College, Union University. And so ask yourself, why are so-called evangelicals embracing Tony Blair, who embraces Fabian Socialism, who wants all the religions of the world together to come together as one, when Fabian Socialism is really about the merging of socialism with capitalism? Uh, it would also be called, we would also refer to it today as Keynesian economics. Uh, this is this idea of debt. It's the idea of a fiat currency. It's the idea of inflating your currency, which today your dollar is worth about three or four cents compared to when the Federal Reserve was founded in 19, what, 1913. So this is this, uh, idea of socialism by evolution, not revolution. That's what Fabians want. They want socialism by evolution not revolution. You can call them a Fabian Socialist, and they belong to the Fabian Socialist Society. If they don't belong to the Fabian Socialist Society, you would call them a communitarian. They're mixing socialism with capitalism. One communitarian was a man by the name of Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker went on to disciple, according to his own uh, admission, Rick Warren. Rick Warren today promotes his three-legged stool uh, of merging government, corporations, and the social sector to, def- de- to destroy the five global giants. And uh, so he's really into the whole idea of turning all the faith centers around the world into some kind of distribution for the social justice, social gospel agenda. Where did he learn this? According to his own words, he learned it from Peter Drucker, an admitted communitarian. So this is Fabian socialism. It's communitarianism. They want socialism by evolution, not revolution, which fits very nicely with the Frankfurt School and Herbert Marcuse, who said the old way of revolution is old-fashioned. It's now a diffused and dispersed disintegration of the system from within.
1: And if I may just go kind of tread backwards a little bit, you mentioned something, and, and of course, the gold standard. uh, Nixon took us off the gold standard. It was actually uh, August 15th. 1971 which would make that what uh, today's the anniversary of that action uh, wow. so isn't the timing a little bit more than interesting and, and at the time folks uh, I think banana I think it was a Sunday night when he came on and uh, at the time um, the, the biggest complaint about the that whole process was not about the action of uh, the final severing uh, of our fiat currency from the gold standard but the fact that Bonanza was being interrupted, or Ponderosa, I love yeah, I love Bonanza. Yeah, well, I'll tell you something. I mean, so I mean, think of that. the, the, the timing is is, uh, is interesting as yeah, well.
7: it's the anniversary of that today.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, by the
7: way, in this in this report here uh, to the president by the man that was fired for writing, and according to Breitbart, uh, Higgins actually goes on to quote Herbert Macuza who, again, coined the phrase big love, not war, was part of the Frankfurt School. In 1965, in a paper, Marcuse defined, this is reading right from the report to the president, in 1965, Marcuse defined tolerance as intolerance. So he said, hey, you want to push tolerance? Then you're it's really intolerance. Well, we've told you that for years. Tolerance is really, uh, it's easier to find, if you're trying to define tolerance education, it's easier to find it this way. Anything that is intolerant is what they would call uh, you know, bad. So if you're promoting some, something like absolute truth, uh, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, that's, uh, that's intolerant. So tolerance education is taught you, is teaching you to hate Christians, hate Christianity, hate capitalism. This is the source of all suffering. Remember the Frankfurt School? Well, Herbert Marcuse said this, and this is given to the President of the United States in this memo. <coughs> Herbert Marcuse said, quote that these, this new tolerance quote would include the withdrawal of toleration of speech. An assembly from groups and movements which promote aggressive policies, armament, chauvinism, discrimination on the grounds of race and religion, or which oppose the extension, meaning the continuation or growth, of public services, welfare, Social Security, and Medicare. In other words, Her, uh, Herbert Marcuse says in 65, written, and this again has been given to the President of the United States, this got him fired, I guess, Mr. Higgins, he's quoting the Frankfurt School guy, Herbert Macuza, who says, if we really want tolerance, we have to be intolerant. We're going to be intolerant toward Christians. We're going to be intolerant toward conservatives. And we're going to take away their freedom of speech, their right to assemble. And anyone that is opposed to bigger government and redistribution of wealth falls into this category. By the way, what are the Marxists and Muslims doing right now? They're pushing hate crime laws. They're pushing blasphemy laws that would make it illegal and a crime, as is the case in Canada, to say certain things. Go up on the radio in Canada and talk about homosexuality in a politically incorrect way, you'll lose your license and go to jail. Go up there and talk about Islam, as one mayoral candidate recently did, and now all he did was report the truth about Islam, now he's being prosecuted. And Mr. Higgins gives this report to the president and says, the groups that are doing this together are the Marxists and the Muslims. He goes on to quote, uh, Herbert Macuza liberating tolerance then would mean intolerance against movements from the right and toleration of movements from the left as to the scope of this tolerance and intolerance it would extend to the stage of action as well as of a discussion and propaganda of deed as well as of word in quote so this is about again all out war on free markets free speech freedom of religion and capitalism which would be your free markets And what you have included in this whole political correctness, multiculturalism, tolerance, is this white privilege. That the source of all suffering is Christianity, it's the white people, it's the Europeans, this is the source of all suffering. And so the goal again by Karl Marx, my object in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. They now just remake Marxism, they call it political correctness, white privilege, multiculturalism, feminism. And they're destroying not only the family, they're destroying, they've destroyed the educational system, they, they've destroyed our form of government, we don't really run as a constitutional republic anymore, and now they've destroyed our military by using all these social experiments. And quite frankly, the military today is in a post-communist state. And what I mean by that is, the communists in the 1930s, never in the 40s, never dreamed that they could accomplish what they have with the United States military. They never dreamed we would have transgenderism in the military and the government going along with it. They would never dreamed you would have women on submarines, women in combat, and yet all of these things that have occurred have gone beyond what the communists ever thought they could acquire. We are living in a post-communist military age. This has been the success of the Frankfurt School, Herbert Marcuse, And the many other systems that this man Higgins was warning about in his six and a half page memo to the president in May of 2007, that I warned about in my book *Grave Influence* in 2008. In uh,
1: 2017, in 2008, you beat him by nine years, right? Yes. As opposed to right. Um, all right. So, so at the epicenter, folks, it, it, this is important because we're talking about a national security issue here. National Security Advisor being bumped uh, from his position based on a multi-page memo uh, that really t- uh, that r- mirrors the writings of Brandon House and um, – and I don't know
7: that he read my book by the way just to make that clear but it it, it we're we're singing from the same song sheet.
1: Well and as one who has uh has access and and of course read your books yeah, yeah I mean when you look at the memo um or or look at the uh the, at least the summary of the memo and and w- what which you, you what which you've been saying it's no I mean it, it's it's identical. So where does that leave us here at this point? We've got about 10 minutes left of the program, about nine minutes left. Um, Infiltration by the deep state. I mean, where does this leave us? And where do we go from here? How do we handle this? And and What are we to make of all this?
7: Well, I'll tell you, where where we're headed is world government. Now, how they're going to get there, I don't know. But they're going to create a crisis. They they cannot let a good crisis go to waste. They're going to manufacture the crisis. And that's what you see the media doing now. And this is what exactly what, what this man goes on to warn about in this report. That what the media is going to do is say things like, "President Trump is illegitimate," "President Trump is corrupt," "President Trump is dishonest." Now, these are the things you hear coming from the media. They're trying to brainwash the American people that didn't vote for him, and even maybe switch those who did to going against him. But they're certainly trying to uh, to, to get the, the their base they're young college kids, they're their neo-Marxist young people, to take to the streets and to riot, as we've seen many times in the United States of America. They are agitating to the point of conflict. And that's exactly what Saul Alinsky called for, agitate to the point of conflict. They want a revolution. And that is now going on with the deep state, uh, as well as the media, and with education. And so Trump knows now, he does know from having read this, according to Breitbart, that they are pushing the narrative. President Trump is illegitimate, President Trump is corrupt, President Trump is dishonest, To lay the stages for impeaching him. If they do impeach him, uh, Michael Savage and others are now coming out saying there will be a civil war in America, but the average person in America that voted for him realizes they have nothing left to lose. They're going to lose it all because this is their last chance. Now, I don't know if that will happen, but I know they want that to happen. A civil war would be a bad thing in this country because I think the globalists want it. Um, and again, we have a form of government that allows us to uh, take elected officials who agree with the original form of government, do away with those who don't uh, by prosecution or arrest, reestablishing new elections and reestablishing a new form of government. So we would hope that we could do it through the ballot box. But if you throw out a legitimately elected president by hook or crook, the American people might be prone to saying, we tried that, it didn't work and now they're going to have a civil war. The globalists want that. By the way, I understand from past programs I've done, the United Nations has already been brought in with agreements between the United States and the UN, as well as other countries, to be a policing force should such uh, uh, behavior occur, which would include then disarming the American people. Um, Now, again, I don't think. the American people are going to go along with that, no. but just know this, the Federal Emergency Management Association a few years ago trained pastors, quote, pastors in America to twist Romans 13 uh, out of context and use that to manipulate Americans and Christians into giving up their guns. But then they also said in this report to the president, they're going to talk about Russia hack the election. There's obstruction of justice, hiding collusion, he's a Putin puppet. So again, this is their narrative to prove that he's a legitimate, corrupt, dishonest, and treasonous. So where we're headed could be some kind of civil unrest. That's what they want. Then you add in the Marxist working with the Muslims, and then you add in Islamic Revolutionary Guard uh, that is probably already here, according to my friend Dr. Peter Pry, former CIA officer, thousands of Islamic Revolutionary Guard members already here in the U.S. ISIS is here. They're working with us. Uh, 13 You're talking about some really bad um, uh, folks, as the president says, already here in the U.S. to help with this agitation. They could go after infrastructure. They've already, according to uh, the Federal Emergency Management or the Federal uh, FERC, the Federal Emergency Regulatory Commission, one of their past directors, he says that, that uh, some kind of special forces group went after a power substation in California. I think it was April 2013. He brought in the Navy SEAL. The Navy SEAL looked at it. The shell casings, no fingerprints, rock piles pre-positioned so they would stand at night, shoot out the coolant system, and in about 19 minutes brought down that transmission substation, which I understand, according to a book by Ted Koppel, Lights Out, went to servicing part of Silicon Valley. Jeff and, of Yeager. course Yeager. Huge saying, yard. Yeah, that could have been Author. Thank you. We and had one Friday. Been,
2: Sorry, Brian. Oh, good.
7: Good, 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 good. And that could have been a warning to America for working with uh, Silicon Valley and uh, Israel uh, for creating the Stuxnet virus that went over into uh, Iran and messed up their centrifuges, fed them up, and destroyed that. So if they're already here, and there seems to be indication by the, the, the maneuver we just laid out that they are here, you add the Marxists and Muslims working together – uh, to create a crisis all at one time. You had the globalists creating an economic crisis, the Marxists and Muslims creating chaos, terrorism, acts of terror, hitting the infrastructure, and you could have a really bad scenario that, again, goes to their hand, which is chaos. So eventually the American people say, whoa, and they stop. They don't want to be involved in the streets. Uh, their power is out, or there's interruption of services, whatever it might be. There's so much crime, they even the diehard Trumpers throw up their hands and say, Uncle, I just want security. And and that's what Franklin said, isn't it? That the people that give up their liberties for a little bit of security are worthy of neither and lose both. So I am watching to see what happens. I don't know what will happen, but I know the players. I think I know what their tactics are. And I even know the FBI has warned about some of these things in memos, uh, and I've read from them. Uh, In fact, even in Ferguson, the FBI put out a memo saying, Don't be shocked if some of these agitators go after the power substations. So, again, you got your Marxists and your Muslims working together in conjunction with the media, with education, with the deep state, and this president has his hands tied uh, in in many ways, and uh, he's doing the best he can, but McMaster is deep state, I think. He doesn't even believe in radical Islam, according to Breitbart, and he just fired the man that I think probably gave one of the most concise, Six and a half pages I've ever read to a president of what is your existing problem, which is not only his problem, but it's been the problem of America since it arrived here in 1933 in the form of the Frankfurt School, cultural Marxism, and then eventually communitarianism, Fabian socialism, and this is where we find ourselves today.
2: So again, as you just said, McMaster fires uh, Rich Higgins, who gives Trump the most accurate and best threat assessment he's going to receive and and he is now gone. That is not by any accident, Brandon. I want to thank you so much for for uh, the excellent hour of of uh, content. You you gone through so much information in this hour, and it's very, what I find very interesting is uh, you know the threats that uh, Higgins laid out that you wrote in your book years and years ago. Uh, that's always you know uh, having the for the foresight to be able to see uh, the trends, what's going to happen. And we see that now coming to fruition, and you saw it years ago. But it's really troubling to see when we have a president like Trump in there, and he talks about draining the swamp, him being surrounded literally you know, by the swamp, and it hasn't gotten yeah. any better since his inauguration. I want to thank you so much if, for coming on. And
7: you can get the book in our bookstore, as an e-book. You can download it right now as an e-book um, or, a, or an audio book uh, or have a hard copy sent to them if they just go to our bookstore, Worldview. Weekend dot com. Thanks for having me on, guys. As, uh, yeah, I always, love
1: the hard copy book. Um and, and give give that website out one more time here. Uh
7: WorldWeek. World Worldviewweekend.com. Just worldviewweekend.com. It's spelled together as one word, and are put two W's in a row, worldviewweekend.com.
1: Got it. All right. And and let's uh let's all become educated. that book uh or, or the trilogy actually provides a great uh a compilation of information which you heard today expanded. So, thank you, Brandon House.
7: Thank you, thank uh, you, guys.
1: Yeah, we are we are in some deep, deep water here, and, and uh, uh, all of what he said. The Hagen's memo. He, he, here's here's what I said this morning, and I'm going to end the program with this: Attacks on President Trump are not just about destroying him, but also about destroying the vision of America that led to his election. That's in the Hagen's memo. That's what I've been saying. It's not just taking out Donald Trump, but the presidency and the people who backed them. And I started the program out today. I've talked about this before um, by saying exactly that, Joe. Don't
2: forget to tune in to the uh, Doug Hagman Show, 9 to 10 a.m., as well as the Hagman Daily Show, 2 to 3 p.m., both heard on Global Star Radio Channel 3, on Blog Talk Radio, as well as archived. And you can find all those on the Hagman Report also. It's been a great show. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Have a great evening.